we're going. Where's my comments? I can't even tell we're going. There it is. He is risen. You are paid for. He won't be long now. Uh, and wait, you're immortal. You're immortal. He won't be long now. The water seals it. The bread feeds it. And oh goodness, this is like the worst opening ever. I even messed up that part. This is the worst opening ever to the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill, but you still heard the gospel. We'll be right back with all the good stuff. Hey, Internet, I am increasingly convinced that I have no idea what I'm doing. That is that is the absolute truth. Thank God Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and he's left us his holy scriptures as a clear and potent path for explaining everything so that when you don't know what you're doing, you can go back to things that are really clear and never going to go away and be like, I can at least do that now and worry less about, well, trying to be my own God. He is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and Jesus Christ will not be long in returning to make good on his ascended kingdom. Anyway, the water seals it that is it puts you into it the food that we feast upon together well that feeds it 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 as an action of corporate unifying a fellow shape that we take under the dominion of the words of the new testament of jesus christ take eat this is my body we are mysteriously made the very body of christ and in fact feast upon it orally that reality feeds your faith so you can trust all the more that when you don't know what's going on jesus does <laughs> uh <clears throat> and that that's church that's church. That's what it means to be church. If you can't find one of those near you, you should, or you should move to a place where you can. I'm not kidding. I've been saying it for years. You can go back and find videos five years ago, seven years ago. I'm like, there's a time coming, people, when you're not going to be able to find a church. So you're going to have to make a decision. What matters? For many people out there right now, that's where we are. It's not coming. It is here. We got your questions about that this morning, along with as many Bible answers as I can provide. My nonsense and thinking, of course, I'll promote all the good stuff to you, like Mad Christian Mondays, Brief History of Power, and of course my Patreon channel. But, um, yeah, I think that's a pretty good intro right away. Now, you don't need to know that, but I do, because I have CTPSD, so from now on, I'm not going to hide it when I just, I'll say to you, i got to verbally ventilate my own confidence. I, I, I don't have any. <laughs> you probably think I'm like the most confident person in the world. It's not true. It's all a show. Uh, I have I have absolutely zero, and I'm not going to go into CPTSD on that right now. It is a uh, complex. It is a thing that you have that you struggle with psychologically, um, but let's just say that uh, when I say something like that, you know, if you are a CTPSD person, you hear me be like, oh yeah, that was pretty good. That's like me having um, uh, abandonment issues with you. <laughs> That's like me uh, having, a, what was it again? Um, uh, we talked about it in the Mad Christian Discord. You can find it on Discord. That's an app. You get on your phone. You look for us to chill. You'll find the Mad Christian Discord. There's a whole bunch of channels that deal with things that Christians should care about, like mental health. And there's a channel there. Uh, uh, we just started it. Frozen? Frozen? Uh, Frozen Emotion, which is designated to helping people with CPTSD talk about it. There's a podcast starting on that as well. Anyway, I have that. And one of the things, again, is that when I get done talking, I, I forget what I said. I actually can't remember whether it was true. And this is an emotional reaction that was uh, attuned to me when I was like one and two. It just has to do with parental behaviors in the house. And we can leave that for another time. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm, I'm explaining it and ventilating it so I can stop being afraid of it. For pretty sakes, I'm really sick of being afraid of a camera and me. <laughs> <laughs> and like your words, which I, I try to read them. I do. Some of you are mean. And so it makes it harder to want to read. That's really an interesting thing, right? Um, and then, and some of you are, are just helping each other out and doing fine without me. So I, I find that to be really good too. Anyway, fragmentation, that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point. So, so the Mad Christian Discord is a good like, like jump into the idea that fragmentation is happening and it's okay. It's okay. 
we don't have to be MAGA, behemoth, all hegemonic, everything under one culture control mind. That's actually not good for the planet. That's never been good for the planet. Every time it tries to happen, God stops it from happening. So if right now, what was a religious attempt to unify the planet in a global monopoly of people's souls was broken by all our reaction to COVID as much as COVID itself, well, th- that's a good thing, right? And so we have a shift, I think, from a growth of culture toward a unity, a we that was taking place up until 2020. Everybody who lived in the United States, we were just living in a place where we thought we were getting closer together. We thought we were getting closer together and we thought we were getting closer together still. We were unifying. What is happening is we're seeing now. No, we're not. And we haven't been. It was a lie. We're fragmenting. And now the fragmenting being like unearthed is actually frothing and bubbling up. And so there's no more great example of this. This is such a beautiful example of just what they did to us, okay? Is the CDC releasing its new guidelines on a weekend again. The liars, the hiding, cowardly liars released the news on Sundays. Unbelievable. Anyway, they released their little uh, statement. Uh, that now they think that if you've been vaccinated and been vaccinated and been vaccinated again and you have all your vaccinations certainly where they need to be, then now masks don't matter. So what happens? What happens? Now you have like 25% of the people, the ones who like really watch cable TV, who've been terrified this entire time, who suddenly are coming to churches where there's mask on services with their masks off. Be like, I got a vaccine, I don't have to wear a mask. And like, it throws chaos into everything. They're doing it at stores. They're doing it at whatever. And then you have stores going, okay, fine. That's actually right. They said, we can be do this. We're not going to police anymore. And this is really great. I'm really for this. But then you have all these people going to wear masks anyway. And you have all these stores that aren't going to listen. You have all these states that aren't going to listen. You have all these cities that aren't going to listen. And they're going to keep fighting and disagreeing. And everyone's going to do it different. It's going to fragment. Your local reality is the only real one until they drop bombs on you. It, It really is. So like learning that is a very important part of being a Christian in the modern age. That the modern age is a religion that you just woke up from. That the real woke aren't them, but you. They say what you are. Well, hello. Awaken from the dead in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's right. And I'm not going to believe in this lie. I'm not going to believe that I have to have a country to save me. I'm not going to believe that I don't have two hands with which to live or die in this planet. And that's okay. That's okay. If my hands are not enough someday and I cannot provide for me and my body collapses in some way, then that's Jesus Christ's will for me. And he has promised to me. He has declared to me, you too, in your baptism, I know not everyone believes this, but that's what it means. I, I wash you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And God's like, I wash you. He has declared to you in that, that there is therefore now no condemnation in Jesus Christ. What that means is that everything that happens in this life is for your good, even if it doesn't feel like it while they're crucifying you. But for the joy set before him, he endured that knowing that it was a paltry moment when compared to the eternal reality of the resurrection of our hearts, minds, souls, bodies into eternity. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Bible answers. Bible answers coming your way. CDC. CDC. So now I hear people saying, I don't trust the CDC. People who were formerly trusting the CDC. I hear conservatives saying it. I hear liberals saying it. So what does that mean? We have an expert system that's been set up that undermine themselves so much now they cannot even begin to move us again. All they can do, I mean, they do... It's going to be more by pressure, right? It's going to be more by social realities. And that's where the thing is. You can see who the fight's really between now. The fight was between Wall Street and industry and, frankly, Trump. Uh, And then the fight is on the West Coast with Silicon Valley and super economy marketplaces, uh, global hegemonic companies. Yeah. And those are the ones right now. You notice where are the masks right now? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so like that's, that's the thing. And then when the church comes along and just as the stooge of the world on this, I gotta say, I mean, I'm all for making sure we're safe at church, but I had a conversation this week and where it had to come out of my mouth like this. It's not my business as your pastor to preserve your physical health. Like I have no call whatsoever to go into your life and figure out what you're eating and like how you feel and like whether or not you're taking your vitamins and whether you're going to lose weight so that when you have things like COVID that really overkill people that are in obese situations, like you're going to do something about that. That's actually not my job. That's not my job at all. And that the government's been making us do that. And you have pastors out there doing that right now. It's amazing. It's amazing. We're, we've abandoned our posts. You know, our job is to declare that this will pass like all things. And that if it, if it really remains an actual pandemic, and again, that remains a debate in my head, uh, I'm leaning toward the not, but then again, I'm always open to being convinced by actual evidence, just how do we know it's actual, this thing will pass. The Spanish flu was much worse by the numbers already. This thing will pass. Yeah? The Lord has woken up us by striking us with the fiery serpent's bite is what has happened. Yeah, Remember that story? It's a good story. Yeah, they're out there in the wilderness free from Egypt, cross the waters. Wow, that was crazy. Hallelujah to Jesus. We're going to make it. And then, ah, oh, this, this worthless food. Ah, oh, it's no food. There's the worthless food. That's not food at all. Ah, oh, Moses. Ah. And God sends fiery snakes, you know, uh, poisonous snakes, biting snakes. That in the Hebrew is really interesting. It's seraphim is there too. So there's angelic involvement in this. The hosts of heaven are like, are like doing really awful things to creation or you could say it this way they just pull them back and they're in the desert and the snakes came out <laughs> and and they start to die now the rest of that story wherein moses prays because they repent they go to moses and say we're sorry we were actually wrong rare occasion but they or they do it it's kind of awesome moses goes jesus to god you know the tabernacle uh hey uh we repent and uh god says fine I got a great idea. Why don't you make a bronze snake and put it on a stick, walk around with it, and then anybody who looks at that, they will not die from poisonous snakes. And Moses is like, all right. And so they did it, and it worked. And anyone who looked at the snake didn't die. And that's a strange thing that's ultimately about what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. Right? It's about what it means to hear a promise and believe it. It's why baptism saves you the same way. Ah, um, so there's that. But what's really cool, I think, is how in the intertestamental period, you find amongst the Apocrypha, I don't call this scripture, but it's, it's a commentary on scripture by Christians who lived in the time after the prophets had stopped speaking with Malachi. Um, you can find them talking about how the event of being bitten by the snakes was a gift from God and how they were pricked by the venomous poison of the dragon. I think it says of the serpent, right? Pricked by the poisonous venom of the dragon in order that they might see the goodness of God. Now that's a mystery that you don't get to just understand right away. That is the full maturity of the Christian faith to realize that when it hurts, it is still good and a gift from God to realize that even the crucifixion of God is the anointing the, the enthroning, the crowning, the triumphant festival event of the, the reigning king. What a backwards thing. Well, the word's upside down, if you haven't noticed. Alice in Modernland has gone nuts. And the techne isn't exactly doing everything it promised. The more time I spend off a computer, I'll say, the more time I spend off the computer, the more I realize when I go on a computer, it's not more than five seconds before something goes wrong. It is a nasty little world in here, but we're not going to go into that right now. We got a lot of questions from you. We were going to have Brian Wolfmuller on. He had to bail. He'll be back in like three weeks to, to talk about Second Thessalonians chapter two but for now we got plenty of questions from you bible answers my nonsense in just a few minutes in just a minute we will be right back 
I'm going to say expect the fragmentation, right? Expect the fragmentation. Expect it to continue. You're going to go into different stores and whoever works there, that's how it's going to be. <laughs> you know? And so it's going to have a sign and the sign says, do this. And the other people working there, not doing it. And you're going to be like, okay, and you're not going to do it. And this is where the real problem lies, where in totalitarianism compels lying. It creates it. it. It makes laws that can't be enforced, but everyone has to kind of pretend that they are being enforced. And so we're all liars by definition of being part of the state. It's really quite awful, really, to do this to yourself as a country. It pre or preludes your destruction and fall because once your politicians can no longer talk to each other in any close to viable way when everything is a lie and a hint and a dodge eventually they're gonna fight in a way that either either boils out into where we are which is i think what everyone's afraid of but what i'm more afraid of is that someone else like do you see how vulnerable they are right now do you see how vulnerable they are right now like like it's it's really awful it's very awful so I mean, Genghis Khan knew what he was doing. I'm just going to say it. Uh, on this then, so as it fragments, though, for us Christians, remember that this can be good news for us, provided that we decide to grab the reins and start our own fragment. <laughs> like, stop being part of their fragment. Your congregation is a fragmented full kingdom, a society planting itself there, a village that fell out of the sky. Yeah, doesn't mean you only buy stuff from the people that work there. I, I know those places that have tried that. I don't think that's quite right. But it does mean that you have a microculture which can be used to sustain your courage, your will, your heart, your mind in the midst of a society that is foreign to you. Because you're a Christian and this is this is Sidon. This is this is um, Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it, Babylon, Rome, whatever, right? We're in a bad spot, and the word from our Lord is, come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Do not be one with her. And yes, I'm not saying you have to leave the world and stop sinning, for pity's sakes. Why do I have to argue against all the nonsense? But it does mean you can't just go on lackadaisically being the lazy fool that they would ask you to be. That they would, let me just suggest, groom you to be. And I use that word very intentionally. Um, your questions. Here we go. Anonymous says this. Thank you for talking about mental health. That is a comfort. We need a better word though, right? We need, uh, this was on the, I wanted to say this a moment ago. Brief History Power of Dr. Koontz and myself, uh, two white guys. Uh, you can find that on iTunes. Uh, it's all about the context of our historical problem right now as Christians without telling you you have to be a Christian and without telling you you have to agree with us on understanding the historical context, right? But we're going to talk about it rather than hide from it and pretend everything's fine because it's not. Um, uh, he talks about how, well, how was the health industry is actually a sickness industry, right? That's Koontz. The health industry is a sickness industry. And so the mental health industry is a mental sickness industry. And recognizing that right away is the first thing we should do when we talk about mental unhealth. The fact is we are an unhealthy people across the board. Diagnosable problems that once upon a time were rare are like common now. I'm just going to suggest the television has a small part to play in this, if not a large part. So you take that for what it is. But what it also means is that the doublespeak that the TV's brought into the world, you can't escape that even if you leave the TV, the breaking down of the English-American language wherein we speak it, wherein we have to lie to each other and pretend to be something we're not just to trade goods with each other, that cannot be good for mental health. That is unhealthy mentally to begin with. And so you're welcome for talking about it. And it's... I, I know I'm talking about, you know, you're referring to me talking about my own particular struggle, which I will tell you is a phenomenally fierce reality when I have to deal with it. This week, I had a day, a day in which 
it was just hard to be me. And it was awful hard to love me, I think, too. Uh, I managed to stay out of the way for a lot of it. Um, and that's what you got to do when you're in this kind of a situation. Is this, uh, you know, complex PTSD person. You find yourself in a flashback. You have to go away from the people who you are transferring former emotions onto. And you need to breathe and remember that you're safe. And remind yourself that a flashback will pass. And that you're in an adrenalized state of fight or flight. And that if that can get congealed and come away and maybe even a tear with it, well, then you're going to be able to see what's really going on, which is that you're afraid of something from a long time ago, right? So yeah, talking about that actual struggle with me, it's, it's um, you're welcome. Uh, it's part of the, the prognosis for how to get better. <laughs> so like, I, I don't have a choice if I want to get better. And, and if you watch me long enough, I mean, here's, here's two things. Most of what I do, like the reason I'm good at what I do is because I have this problem in my life and I've been searching so hard for an answer. And, and the black or white reality of the complex post-traumatic stress experience is why I hunger for truth so deeply. Uh, because I do know, and I know it from experience, that half-truths, they break. They break really fast. They, they break down. And I test them. I find out because I need to stand on something real because, uh, you know, to hear the diagnosis again, I don't have a true self. I, I, have, a, I have a very uh, underdeveloped ego. Um, I, I project confidence, but I don't really have any. Um, so it's weird, right? It's super weird. Uh, it's weird to be me and it's, it's painful. So talking about that though, again, to kind of get back to that, the prognosis for any mental health is that you would verbally ventilate the charge of emotion that you have positive or negative in a safe and reciprocal relationship with others where we're allowed to realize that bad things happen in our life and it makes us sad, angry, scared, and, and, and mad. And that we want to talk about it with our friends and have them be like, yeah, too. Yeah, really. Uh, and so, um, that reality verbally ventilating what is going on inside of you is mentally healthy. That is what mental health is. Verbally ventilating anger as anger at others, not healthy at all, right? So see the difference there, right? To acknowledge, oh man, I just got really angry. I don't like this. And it's, it's probably not even accurate. And I could say that, you know, with, with integrity every time now, it's kind of frustrating. <laughs> it's not every time I get angry, certain kind of angry though. I, I get the flashbacks, boom. Oh yeah. Mm. Um, but acknowledging that I just got angry. I got angry for a reason and, you know, I'm not even sure it's a good reason, but oh golly, I'm angry. Like just being able to own it, right? That alone is a mental health. And what prevents that so much today from everybody, forget if you're like deep and diagnosable, your most lack of mental health is that rather than have the time to think about your emotions, you watch TV, you watch the box, you watch the idol factory, you, you just stare at what they want you to think. <laughs> And you hope you find something Christian and clean. You put on the things to make it. Okay, okay, okay. You're still on their coattails. You're still on a kingdom that's run by, uh, well, <laughs> let's leave that for another time. Um, you're welcome for talking about mental health. Uh, let me suggest that there are many, many pitfalls to mental health today. The mental health industry often being one of them. The entertainment industry definitely being one of them. The nutrition industry or lack of. Definitely being, you know, what, what would you call that? Big sugar? Uh, lack of uh, definitely being one of them. All of these things impact mental health. And that's without then going to, how are our family structures as Christians? Do we believe what the Bible says about man and woman in Christ? No, we don't. For 50 years, we've been very gradually sliding down that slope. Oh, it's not a slippery slope. That's a slippery slope argument. You can't make that argument. It won't work. It doesn't count. And then like 40 years later, uh, why don't people believe slippery slopes exist? I, I just, it's a weird thing to me. Uh, the Bible's very clear. Do not move the ancient boundary marker, right? It's like, like it, does, it says that, right? So like if men have always done it a certain way, and you're like, I don't think we should. Like, it's not going to go well. It's just not going to go well. It's, it's not about like God's going to punish you because he's vindictive. It's not about how we Christians hate you because you're doing whatever you're doing. It's just like, like 
I think I should pour hot lava on my face. I think it would actually take me to paradise. Well, like, I'm going to say, dude, 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 dude. Like, you sure? Yeah. And so on this, if we're going to pursue mental mental health uh, in any way, it must be by returning to the mind of the scriptures, the mind of Christ, uh, which 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 is very clear that you have. You have. Go look at it. Go read it. Read the whole first first two chapters of 1 Corinthians. It's great. The, the folly of the cross is wisdom and all this. <clears throat> But the mind of Christ, which is the antidote to confusion and you say this, I say that, and the Corinthians were actually having that kind of an argument. The mind of Christ has been given to you. So you're like, oh, where do I find it? It's not, it's not inside your head. <laughs> it's written in the scriptures. Yeah? And so like reading the scriptures, translating the scriptures yourself, you know, smart knowing that stuff. This is to put the mind of Christ that is the Bible inside of your mind and heart. And the more I contest, the more that you would do that, because you are already saved by Jesus and want to, the more you are going to experience the mind of Christ or what we might call the impact of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity for you as your king. And he says, come to me, all ye who are weary, heavy laden. I got you. I'll give you rest, no hell, lots of eternal feast. It's all good. It's paid for the blood of Jesus. Amen. That's the gospel. All right. We can talk about justification, forgiveness, all these different metaphors for how the gospel does what it does. But the gospel is that he is risen. You are paid for. Jesus is sufficient. The impact of the gospel is what happens because of that. And the impact of the gospel is that dead men, sinners, zombies, vampiric souls are awakened, truly woke to see that there is another path, both one which we fell from that we can still walk physically in with each other, although tight and with forgiveness going back and forth, and certainly a path of knowing that there will come an end to this thing, which is all going to get so much better. I'm going to tell you that Christianity will not make your psychological issues go away, but Christianity is the hope to tackle your psychological issues. See what I did, right? Like, like it's not, you, you don't get a magic pill where all the trauma from all that stuff they did to you way back then that you don't even want to admit to yourself yet. They, they, they're not going to get a pill or a choice or a moment where all those patterns in your brain evaporate. But what you are going to get, again, is a God who will never leave you nor forsake you so that when the things you hope for evaporate, you can tell yourself, you can say from the mind of Christ he's given to you, the impact of the gospel that is inside of you, you can send it out, he is risen, this is not true. And even when it's weak and you're like, I don't feel like I believe it, it's coming out of your mouth because the Holy Spirit's inside. On the other side, you can look back and you'll be like, look, that wouldn't have come out of my mouth if I didn't believe this stuff. I'm telling you again, There's not enough coming out of anybody's mouths right now. Fathers in the home. Mental health is about fathers in the home opening the Bible and answering the problems with Scripture. I am chief of sinners, I'll tell you. I try. It's hard in our world. Got to turn that TV off. Okay, this isn't even your question. Anonymous says, you talked about anger and said that it's not a sin. I did. Uh, I think that a better way, I think that the way I see emotions is a bit off. Okay. Would you talk a bit more about the topic? Sure. Are there emotions that are sinful or is it always the reason or result of the emotion that might be sin? I'm going to say that mm, that's a tough one because we're dealing with categories that aren't necessarily biblical categories. What does emotion mean? How? I mean, we all kind of know, right? Like love, but then like, where's the line between emotion and like, a, 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 you know, I ate something bad, right? And that's not very easy to draw. 
And so to be like, well, one sin, one's not. This is not what sin's about in terms of repentance and action in the Bible. That's about what original sin's about, that there's an inherited reality that we just can't get away from. And you can do everything right, it's still going to go wrong. And like, that's God's will for you in Jesus to save you from it. So it's all okay. And receiving those things as gifts of crosses to build your faith up and learning to see that with that mind. I mean, that that's all a thing, right? But sin then, sin is not only the original sin that we just always are going to have bubbling up. Sin is active disbelief about what God says. That's sin. So God says, I'm Jesus. And we're like, well, and another God too. And all the gods, that's sin, right? God says, hey, don't shed the blood of your neighbor. That's not what your neighbor's for. And you're like, I'm gonna kill my brother. That's sin, okay? So Christians can actually stop this, okay? So what I'm gonna say next, you just slow it down if you get mad, okay? Christians can stop sinning the way St. John says we can stop sinning. He doesn't mean we won't have sin inside us or be sinful and unclean or do what we don't want to do and not do what we want to do or any of that stuff. What he means is that you can grow as a person to stop letting the things that have dominated and controlled you, which the Bible says are in fact evil, you can gradually piece by piece through forgiveness and knowing he hasn't left you alone. You just get up again and walk one more time because Jesus is risen. You can gradually find a small maturity in your behavior develop. It's wonderful. It's really quite nice. It takes time. Prayer. Yeah. So, mm, Sin, then, right, should not be something you spend a lot of time diagnosing in your emotions. Even though your emotions will always be part of the you that's a sinner. There is nothing God created in you that is sinful or unclean. There is only what the devil took from you, your faith, which is what makes you sinful and unclean. All the things come from your loss of faith that the devil stole from you when he tricked Adam into believing in, well, not believing in God, but believing in whatever other arguments and skeptical ideas that seem reasonable that might come up. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so sin, again, in this context, is not what you feel. Sin is the original sin, is the experience you're in. And then active sin is the thing you do with what you feel. Now, you should be able to say like, like this feeling, okay, so if I have a flashback and I'm like instantly angry or scared or whatever and I'm really far away, it's a really strange thing, I'm not gonna talk too much about it, but it's like an instant switch. And I don't always have the ability to even know what happened or, or turn it back off, but working on that, it's getting better. Um, in that moment, oh, I remember where I was going. Right, so so I have like, let's just imagine you're immediately raging. I, I usually don't just straight up rage, but you know, Hulk, okay? So imagine Hulk. Okay, now, if you want to get all serious, like, that's sin. You're right. It's original sin. You're part of the sinful creation. You ought to go to hell. Fine. But, like, trying to stop that from happening is trying to stop water from running down. The Bible never tells you to do that. The Bible tells you to repent of it and go to Jesus because he saves you from it. And then we're like, is this and this that hurt you? I mean, some of us can get all mad about faces, and that's really over the top. People should be allowed to make whatever face they make, and, I, you know, I got a problem with this. But, like, it, that's what it is. You can make a bad face that's really hurtful and mean, too. So, you, you, I think you get my point. But, but the emotion itself, as a sinner, just is. It just is. And what you have to know is that none of what you that is is created evil. It is fallen instead. Faith has been removed from it. So when the emotion is there and it is not met with the mind of Christ and faith in the word of God, it certainly has a likelihood to actually sin, right? To really do something to somebody. And Christians 
ought to spend most of our time trying to stop that and worry a lot less about trying to stop having anger happen in our heads and hearts. That's a nonsense ploy and it's unbiblical and it'll destroy people. What we want to do is have clean hands. Clean hands. Uh, The pure heart, that's what Jesus promises you. And the clean hands of his, of course, are where the blood, oh, where's the camera? Are where the blood flowed and washes you. So it, it all hangs together in Christ always, right? Always. Um, all right, so I cannot say there's any emotion that's a sin. I can say that shame is the wrong form of guilt. Um, wrath, as man experiences it, is the movement from anger to vengeance. And vengeance is definitely the wrong form of anger, right? So our emotions are more complex than I think we give them credit for on some level, right? Uh, It's not just that easy. (laughs) Golly. (laughs) Um, So like uh, to try to say that that you have to take the emotions as being just part of your core and know that they're part of what's redeemed. That any experience of them, which is bound up to your sin, is given to you as a moment to apply the mind of Christ to seeing how it's still a gift, how the rod and the staff of the shepherd, whatever they're used for, are always used for your good. And you can know this again because whatever you're feeling, the scriptures dictate to you a more permanent reality than that. Straight up. You know, I feel the cancer on my face about to kill me, but the scriptures dictated me, I will rise from the dead because I feast on the flesh and blood of Jesus. Pastor, you can come give me the communion before I die. You know, good idea, right? That one. So going on with your question, I think I've gotten through most of what needed to be in, the, in there. I, I know some Catholic people, she says, he says, Anon says, who say that in the verse, he who spares the rod, oh, there it is, hates the child, the rod is the shepherd's crook, oh, it's cute, uh, that he uses to guide, to protect, to save, and usually not to hit his sheep. Can the Hebrew be read that way? Well, so we have a problem here. Uh, we have a mobile society. And we have a fatherless society. So between these two things, something has disappeared that was very common, in a pre-modern world at least, right? But the mobile society, the modern world really took it away, took away the father from the family. Um, although this idea took much longer to disappear from the highest levels of authority, um, uh, but on the lower levels and the common levels, it disappeared, we know, with travel. And that is that every man used to have a staff. Like you just, you had a rod or a staff, like you had one, you had to walk a lot. And like, Honestly, just eventually you need it, you know, and so it's helpful and whatnot. So this idea of the rod or the staff is such an ancient concept that to try to take some like, I don't know, um, I'm losing the name of the guy who paints the painter of light, um, uh, precious moments. Let's do that one. You know, to take some precious moments, shepherd crook and try to apply that to this text. I think that's just, it's just a bit much, uh, reading up on shepherds in the first world is really interesting. First world in the first century world is really interesting. Uh, reading up on what absolutely unseen and untouchable people they were, what disgusting thieves they were, how distrusted they were, and for good reason. They were the worst gypsies you could imagine, right? And and uh, so this just doesn't take that into account at all. <laughs> You know, uh, and, and what the purpose of the shepherd language then does, both in terms of the angels singing to the shepherds and them being the first witnesses, which is something, but also how David's taken from the shepherds and the language of shepherd of Israel, king of Israel comes out of this as well. So, um, you know, what good is a king who only does nice stuff? Let me tell you, really, what good is he? He's no good. Well, that's what you're arguing for. What good is a father? who never disciplines it. Like the whole thing's about discipline. Now, if they're trying to make the argument that you don't have to strike your child, I don't think the argument is that you have to strike your child. 
I made that argument, right? Uh, I think that's what you're responding to. Um, uh, it, it is it is instead that the child must find um, a straight line on which to grow against, which cannot be passed, so that the straight tree can become strong, right? As opposed to surrounded by weeds and in rocky soil, all these other things that can happen to the planet as it grows. And you, you cannot you you cannot uh, uh, reject that. And then that involves the discipline of punishment, whatever that means. What is punishment? Helping someone understand the consequences of their actions, right? If you're talking in the home, the goal is for the child to see the consequences of their own actions. So the best punishments are ones you don't have to do. <laughs> they just You just have to talk about it. So this is what happens when we do this. Yeah, I can't stop it. You know, I'm, I'm not God. And so if you do this, this is what happens, right? Um, so that's important. But I want to go back to the rod language again, though, because it, there's, there is an important idea behind this word, very deep and very ancient. Uh, and uh, to miss out on it with something, again, that's just like a, a, a precious moments kind of, kind of thing is really sad. Uh, it gets to the heart of the fatherless society we're in. Uh, and so that's why it's also important. So the rod, the staff that every man would have in the ancient world, because you just, you walked, you did stuff, right? The richest men might not have them, but they did. They did. The richer you got, the smaller your staff became until eventually you just had a little tiny stick, a rod, never to walk, but you could hold it. You could touch people with it. It was the sign of your authority. And this is like universal. This is like cosmic. Okay. Uh, and I'm not saying that like we all have to have staffs now, although I think I might make one, but uh, you just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it is a cosmic symbol. Huh? And as a cosmic symbol, a first principle that has been in most societies until the modern world, um, uh, you know, again, the, the hypermobile world, although Luther when he used a staff when he walked to Rome, um, uh, the idea of it as a symbol has diminished, uh, but kings held on to this for a long time. Kings still have scepters. It is, it is part of what it means. And so the rod and staff of Jesus is his scepter. This is, yes, his shepherd's crook. This is, yes, the, the staff by which the waters of the Red Sea are parted and which turn into a snake and like eight stuff, right? Eight other snakes. Uh, this, is, this is more when we're talking about the rod of Christ. I mean, this is, this is the cross. This is baptism and the supper. This is the shepherding that he does through word and sacrament. But in the ancient world, the actual stick is just a symbol of that. It's a symbol of the father in the house being the judge. And then when you have a tribe, you will have the tribal elder have a tribal elder style staff to show that he is the judge. Now, by judge, do I mean biblical judge? Kind of, actually. What do you call a leader that has no other authority? <laughs> They're the person you just ask questions to and they tell you the answers. You can call him pastor. You can call him judge. It's not so different. I've got to think about prophets coming up here in a minute. But, but um, so the, the, the staff then, the rod, is the symbol of authority in the house. And I'm going to say, like, if you only use your authority to be nice to your sheep and you never actually, and by nice I mean, like, let them do whatever they want. Like, that's nice. <laughs> let the sheep feel whatever they want to feel and have whatever they want to have whenever they want to have it. Um, uh, yeah, you're just, you're, just you're, you're not doing your duty at all. So does that help? Does it help? I hope it helps. I, I don't know. What do I say? Oh, my goodness. What just happened there? And we move this. Everything's moving. Why is it all moving? Let's go here. Brr, Anna Marie, shifting gears. Let's just do five seconds here. Uh, no, we're going to make you realize you can get gear. Oh. All right, we're back with Anna Marie's question. She says, hello, Rev Fisk. Would you mind explaining the Lutheran position on Christ's ascension? 
or pointing me to some resources concerning it, like beside the creed, right? (laughs) And like the Bible. Um, I've recently heard that Luther did not believe in a literal ascension. Okay, so I know where this is going. Um, I'll come back. That's like really silly, actually. But I I think I understand why, especially since you're going to say, which is a position I'd never encounter from a non-wishy-washy source. I grew up reformed. Thanks in advance. Yeah, so the reformed, that's a nice spin on the argument. It's a nice spin. Uh, What Luther said uh, is that in the ascension, Jesus is not bound to a chair somewhere far away so as to not be able to be in the Lord's Supper, as Calvin eventually taught, Zwingli was teaching. That's the argument, that the ascension is, uh, you know, think him is what you think him is, me no think him is what you think him is, right? So Jesus ascends to the Father, and like Zwingli says, it can only be with the human body that never is able to go anywhere else or do things that are beyond human bodies, and, Jesus, and uh, Luther's like, no, like the ascension, he's at the right hand of God. He's everywhere at once whenever he wants to be. So if that means he didn't ascend, okay. I mean, I think that means he's like God. <laughs> so I, I don't know, right? It's, it's, a, it's a really bad spin on the position. We confess the creed straight up. He ascended into heaven. Uh, we are, we are uh, biblical believers. So everything it says about him disappearing into the clouds and returning as he went, reigning at the right hand of the Father, like we believe all that. We're just not willing to let you say he's stuck on a metal chair somewhere and can't move if he wants to. He's God. He can do with his body what he wants. He can walk on water. He can show up in, 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 in rooms. He can like vanish in front of people. So like he can be in the Lord's Supper if he feels like it, right? That does not deny the ascension. And uh, honestly, that's just a very hackneyed argument that, that that was ever made. But that shows you like what legal courses were taking place. The Reformation, I am a Reformation theologian and I will remain one because I believe that what work was done by the Lutheran the legal Lutheran sources at the time is bar none the absolute best uh, research that has ever been done into the topics that were at dispute at the time. So for that reason, uh, the Lutheran confessions remain, the Oxford Confession remains a platform, I honestly think, for Christian unity and something that we should not let go of at all. But we have to recognize that in this, much of the way this theological work was being done was not for you. It was not for the laity. It was not for the preaching. It led to great preaching in certain places, to be sure. And at the times, it led to education as well, which is fantastic. But <clears throat> the work that was being done was in order to make legal cases in an empire. The theological arguments were for the sake of presenting them in a courtroom and trying to win a case at which your life was actually, or your nation was kind of at stake in a grander imperial system. That means it's lawyer talk. Not lots of lawyer talk. And the Reformation arguments are lawyers arguing with each other. And at a certain point, they already have their position and they're just looking for arguments. And then they start saying stuff like, he ascended into heaven and that means he's stuck there, right? They didn't say it like that, but that's our spin on their argument. So, but, but that kind of thing starts to happen, right? Because you're busy arguing about something that isn't actually the thing. You have a different agenda at work and you're using Christ as your, your idol uh, to get what you want. And you're willing then to break fellowship and fracture with people over what the scriptures clearly say. And that's what Zwingli did. I mean, Luther wouldn't shake his hand, but Zwingli wouldn't acknowledge that Christ was on the table in the bread and wine. So he's like, we're just not even together. We don't believe the same God. Yeah. Um, and now that's, that's a pretty bold statement. Uh, I, not all Lutherans confess that all Calvinists and Baptists don't believe in Jesus. But when you're in that type of moment where let's like, let's unify the tribes. We're all going to come together. The entire Northern hemisphere of, of Europe is about to be Lutheran. And we're going to believe the same thing. That doesn't mean being Lutheran, but actually just means believing what the Bible says. And on one point, the two leaders can't come together. That one point is, this is my body. I think you walk away from that table. I really do. I mean, there's certain points you just got to walk away from. And, and whose fault is that? Again, 
the guy who would insist that Jesus is stuck on a chair, largely you can find it in his own writings just because he was jealous of Luther. Zwingli just didn't like it that Luther got to be right all the time and he wanted to prove Luther wrong. And it's, it's very sad. It's very sad. Luther is not the only Ajax. Um, pride, 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 pride. Luther had his own, but it was, again, not, not like Zwingli. It's very different people. Um, anyway, long one here. Dear Pastor Fisk, can you guys read that? Is that too small? I got to be able to read it too. So, Dear Pastor Fisk, I hope you, your family, and your congregation are doing well, all in various states of that and up and down and life goes on, yeah? Finally, found the website to submit a message instead of commenting on YouTube. Awesome. Anyways, I have taught question. I have a tough question I've been struggling with. All right. Is it correct for me to take the vaccination for work and my family's well-being if I have foreknowledge that they use fetal cell lines during the testing process, i.e. Pfizer and Moderna, or during production as well, i.e. Johnson and Johnson? Essentially, fetal cell lines use derived cells from aborted fetuses. You are correct. You are correct. You are correct. Okay, so um, what I tell my people at my church is that they're not allowed to take the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. They just, they can't do it. I don't follow them. I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to monitor your health at home. Right. Um, I'm going to tell you that if you take the Johnson and Jackson vaccine, you are willfully killing babies. So don't do that. Now the Pfizer and Moderna one, I think you could probably get to this point if you want to ponder it long enough, but I think it's a longer, harder argument to make. And so I don't expect people to see it right away. So, uh, the Pfizer and Moderna one, uh, I, I think you can't stop people from taking it at this point. There is no baby in it, in its actual production, it's just the company is a baby-killing, murderous, lecherous, evil, idolatrous thing, right? And so you're joining that because why? That's your question. Um, because the government tells you to. They're giving away lottery tickets now. Man, it must not be going as well as it should. Hmm. Anyway, but if, if you'll, five bucks gets you to let people stick RNA reprocessing juju in your arm, I mean, golly, you're not talking about five bucks. You're talking about your family livelihood, right? And that's like, that's the thing. So I guess where I would be myself, like directly and immediately on this one is, okay, family livelihood. They rely on me for a living. I lose this job if I won't get the stick. I have to get another job. Maybe we have less. That is crappy. I don't like that. I get the stab. In two years, we find out it makes everyone debilitated. No one can walk anymore or some random crazy thing because they're messing with DNA and epigenetics and things we don't know nothing about. And there's no recourse within the system. You can't sue. It's all been absolved ahead of time. I might just go round never on that one. <laughs> I'm going to go round never on that one. Right? That's where I am. Um, I think that to put these things in your body without the baby talk, um, the, the Pfizer Moderna one, I think it is, is reckless. It's downright reckless to, to, uh, one person said to me, I know they just got it from TV. Well, I can't hurt you. What planet are we on? Uh, so, so, um, but now you're saying that for your family's well being, you think maybe it's worth the risk. Okay. So, um, this is where risk assessment is an important discernment skill for Christians. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just about right or wrong knowing whether or not something is true or false, evil or good. It's also about just kind of wisdom and foolishness, even on the real level level, perception of reality, right? Like, is this a, a, a decision that will bring effects that are beneficial so far as I think, or is it something that's going to destroy the very things I, I want to have happen? And while at the end, the Lord's going to use it all for your faith, like you are part of this too, right? And so you don't obviously want to make a decision which is going to be detrimental. Um, so, uh, 
I mean, you're asking me and I don't think there's a reason to take these, but I also have a congregation full of people who are taking it. So, and, and I've, I've said what I've said more or less to them. I haven't gone all the way uh, because I don't think that in front of them, it's my job to like uh, try to explain how do I say it. Um, I have to speak publicly at church in a way that brings everyone along together. And so if I just be like, I'm not taking the vaccine, I don't think it would like help anyone who's watching, like they're going to know. Right. But like when I'm doing my Sunday announcements, that's not the time to be Saturday morning chill, but it is the time to say things like, you know, there are abortifacients being used by these companies. They are bad companies. I recommend that if you take the vaccine, you take one that doesn't have babies in it because that's wrong and you can't do that. And these other ones, you got to make a decision. But like what they have done to you is they've done all the evil that they can without you having to say no. So now you can say yes. And, and, and yet they're still doing the evil. It's really quite awful if you think about it. So that's where I, I just think these companies are, are, godless and they're going to be torn down and why would you unite with something that you know god's going to be against at some point it's just like that's and that's where the you know the the spirit of prophecy is to see like it like when they're doing the same stuff that they did in sidon move out (laughs) move out and so like to be in a company that's saying this and is going this way it's not going to get better there's going to be more controls more regime commands uh more uh gestapo slash secret uh, fear society on the inside, um, in all likelihood, uh, insofar as they continue to follow the American unwoke that is dying, decaying, sick, and twisted culture. Yeah, sad as it is. Um, so, but does that mean you can't do this? No, no. What I'm telling you is like, I wouldn't, right? But I'm really not you. And I don't know what financial entanglements, what financial benefits, uh, what other people you're helping, what systems rely on you. And so I can fully see a Christian taking the Pfizer vaccine, kind of knowing it might just be the wrong idea, but deciding that I just don't have a good idea. I don't have a perfect life. I am trapped as a slave in an evil world. And now they're sticking stuff in me. Now, if you can procure your freedom, procure your freedom. But if you are bound and chained, then you are a slave. And the Christian duty is suffer and die for your masters if he is your Lord. Now, unless he commands you to do great evil, at which point it's like, well, if it's got the baby parts in it, no, kill me. Um, if it's right up to that line, I won't do it. But I'm not going to tell you that uh, you can't. I'm going to tell you that if you do, it's not good for us. It's not good for us, but everyone's doing it. It's not good for us. It's bad for us. Why would you start new us's? <laughs> Start a few new S's. Um, everything I've read, uh, this is again a long, long question, so we go on. Everything I've read regarding the use of fetal cell lines, cell, cell, cells, points to their use in a variety of vaccines and medications. Yeah, it's, it's like it's the whole industry is like leaning that way and has been for like 20 years. They think that that's the answers. Um, it's not the whole industry as in 100%, right? But a significant controlling majority of the industry is founded upon baby parts. And this goes from everything, right? So like, I, I mean, I, I wanted Meredith to buy some like Johnson & Johnson baby shampoo the other day and it came out of my mouth, my mouth. Like, get some baby shampoo. You know, Johnson & Johnson, no, don't buy that. There's no baby parts in that. But again, for me, I'm starting to be like, if I can find any company that doesn't kill babies, I'm gonna prefer that company. I, you, know, you don't have to do that though. And when Christians start saying that's the only way to fight, I think that's wrong. I think it's your conscience has to look at where you are and decide according to the mind of Christ in the scriptures, what the people around you really need. Do they need you to die this way or do they need you to die that way? And that's the question. Do they need you to die this way or do they need you to die that way? And which way is going to be best for the Christian community in which you dwell and on which you have set your hopes? That's a far more important question than what does Pastor Fisk think? Okay. 
Um, now, hopefully my thoughts have given you a box to like have your own thoughts in, right? But if you go and like quit your job and move, don't you dare blame me. <laughs> um, unless it's good, then you can thank me for it. But, but like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's what you got to do. Um, I already long ago chose to throw my life away in terms of getting to do what I want to do. So I'm already in a position where it's pretty easy for me to be like, you know what? My convictions are here on this one. Ah, All right, here we go. So I can stand on my high horse and like not have consequences for saying I'm not going to take the vaccine, at least not yet. Right. Although it looks ugly, looks ugly like what they're building toward. Oh man, it looks bad. Um, so, but I can, I can stand here and like, be like, well, I'll I'll take what comes. Um, that's what you got to figure out how to do where you are is to, to make your call and take what comes. And it, you're asking the question because you kind of know you don't want to. I mean, that's part of it too, right? So, all right. Uh, moving on with the question. Everything I've read regarding the use of fetal cells points to their use in a variety of vaccines and medications. I read that one. In articles, they, i.e. Satan and the demons, amen, um, uh, claim fetal cell tissue is different from the stuff in the fetal cell lines. They are basically misrepresenting what they are doing to deceive people. Yeah, I'd, I'd buy that. Um, coming up here with the second part of this. They only know how to deceive uh, they do not know how to create. To note, the fetal cell serves as an ingredient in some chickenpox vaccines. Yes, that's like one of the earliest ones. I was injected with that. We did inject some children with it. And when we learned, we stopped. We stopped. We said, no, this is evil and bad. And like the thing that's really sad about that is like it's already in the body. And so, so far as the first article is concerned in original sin, like you get the repercussions. Like Jesus ain't going magically to make, magically make the repercussions not happen to you just because you're a Christian, right? So that's part of it though. When you make a decision in life, on this planet, whatever the consequences actually are, a Christian says, ah, that's from Jesus. I learned to repent or I learned to rejoice that the word was true, right? And that's always the case that's going on. All right, so chickenpox vaccines, you know, if if you have them, um, yeah, that's bad. Uh, It might even someday lead to great evils for you and your life yeah, uh, because of the first article building up of, of, of blood guilt on American shores uh, and in your own flesh. Uh, but as a Christian, you're like, huh, Dude, that sucks. Jesus is so much better now. <laughs> like, I thought it was good before, but oh, he saved me from that too. That's an important thing. But then once you know you're saved from that too, now do you just keep sticking people with the evil? That That's just it. So, so uh, this presents a different angle to look at your ability right now well, to make a decision on the matter as this seems to qualify as a things below kind of situation. Well, yeah, so it's already been done, so do more. I mean, show me the the evil where that one works out. And do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. So I, I, I get, you're like, it's a different context. I'm grandfathered in. I've, I've, I've had this happen. And so maybe it's just part of who we are and we are slaves anyway. And so we're just going to do what the masters say. Um, and maybe that's where you actually live. But we fragmented a lot now, right? And so I'm free right now. I'm free. The state of Illinois could maybe hear about these videos and get mad about it and send the sheriff or something. And then like Rockford, like I could get shot because it's just Rockford, but that's, you know, I don't know. I don't think I will. Uh, it's not that bad. Um, and, and like those things happen in very specific places. So like, where is my danger right now? The only danger is in my own head with all these stories. And my thought that somehow I can change what God is doing. And, and that's a problem when that temptation comes that by, by doing this action, I'll prevent the death that God is actually just designed to give. How about I do this action because it seems like a good action because the mind of Christ leads me to this action. And then if I die or if I live, that's all on God right there. Because he can't. Well, he's not going to take away like your, your access. If the, these vaccines that are DNA, RNA related cause large problems for, you know, uh, procreative issues or whatever far down the road. And I tell you, God's not going to just fix that because you're a Christian. 
he will just kill you. <laughs> he will. Like that, it, it, that's a different thing. Uh, he will just cut that cord. And so um, learning to just own that and then be like, oh, in one way, I actually can't die. You can't die until God wants you to. Now, I'm not saying go test that. You're not supposed to test God. You're supposed to believe God. And so, so you believe it. And so like, that means like now I don't really have the question, how do I preserve my life? Like that does not need to be. The moment that's a question, I've asked a question that's not the one God gave me to ask. How do I preserve my life? Um, it's one America gave me to ask for sure. Um, and so learning to, to not ask that question, but instead say, what's going on? What's real? What's the word of God say? How might I now do good? Far better, far better. Um, you go on and say, as for my thoughts in conjunction with scripture and the fifth commandment, what the medical industry is doing is hellish. Amen. So that's like, that's where it's like, you got to draw a stand somehow. You have to, you have to, uh, divert your conscience from its flow in some way. Uh, you cannot allow the darkening of your conscience by them to continue to be something they do to you follow. Yeah. Um, slow it down and rewind that one and, and use the they from earlier. Yeah. As for my thoughts, again, in conjunction with the scripture in the fifth commandments, he says, what is the medical industry doing is hellish. It is plain as day that it is sinful. Likewise, I feel that I should like, I should also not take it at all. But my mother in particular fears for my safety driven by the hysteria. Thus requests I do so stand up your mother. Mom, I'm a grown person. I'm going to make my own decision. I'm glad that you're scared for me, but Jesus will kill me when he wants to. So I'm okay. Now, if you're worried about yourself and you want me to visit, that's rough. Let's talk that one through, right? But the idea that like, it's not if I had a penny. I wish it was. But it's happened more than once and enough that that phrase ought to apply a little bit. You know, if I had a penny for every time, but pennies aren't worth much at all, right? 20 even ain't worth anything anymore. Uh, The number of grown men, 50s, 60s Roman Catholics who don't go to church but come sometimes with their Lutheran wife they don't go to Lutheran church they don't go to Catholic church but they come with their Lutheran wife and they won't join you know why? it's mom every time matrilineal society is a blight and evil a great and wicked sin that has scuttled its way beneath feminism and ransacked our ability to be good people what is matrilineanism? It is where the mother's happiness rules the house. It is a failure of the father to understand that the woman will sometimes be unhappy and must learn to deal with it, maybe even cry, and he should perhaps hold her at such times. But the matrilinealness will then run rampant and it will, because men achieve and dare, sometimes foolishly, women tend to protect and not want the problem to happen. Little boys, right, especially, can't be let go too free too fast because they will, in fact, kill themselves accidentally. It's quite terrible, really. They're, they're very dumb. They're cute and all. Um, but as they become men, they have the same problem. But if, if it's never let go, if she's still trying to keep you safe in kindergarten and you're 40, this is not about taking a vaccine. This is about how you stand as a human, who you are. Can you identify yourself as not your mother's puppet? dull terrified idol even right so i'm going to tell you that anybody who takes this vaccine because their family is pressuring them to or because their company is pressuring to them to should at least acknowledge they're being bullied into it like you could go ahead and play with the bully all you want go ahead huh? but know what you're doing that's my point of view i don't even care to some extent like really i can't stop you I, there's a million of you out there 
Huh? But what I really want is for like, if you're going to make that decision, like know what you're doing. You're being bullied by your mother because she's being bullied by the TV because it's an idol. Those who set them up become like them. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. When you start putting it back in that language and you ask, what would happen if I was a Jew, just, you know, a, a Davidic Jew and I walk into Samaria or whatever, you know, post-Davidic Jew, I walk into Samaria and I see what goes on in those homes is what's going on in our homes here. Everyone's sitting around staring at a, a statue that talks to them. I'm pretty sure I'd be like, this is evil. <laughs> you know, this is bad. And we, we're not even like, we're like, oh, let's just do it all the time. No worries. And somewhere in the middle is maybe something better, uh, at least to recognize uh, just how much we are being led by the nose. And so your mother is just being bullied. And then sadly, you're letting her bully you. Um, but that's what we've all been, can I say groomed again? To have happen. It's, it, I think it's real. Um, <laughs> so she asks you to do so because she's listening to the hysteria. So you affirm the hysteria in her mind. You prop up her fear. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe she's in fact so, um, what's the right word? Uh, unable to grow in learning. So um, her, 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 her gray matter has codified so hard that no new thoughts are possible. That happens in old age, especially if you never do things like read. And so um, maybe she does. I don't know. Right. Um, but if she just watches TV, it's just going to harden and harden and harden. She won't be able to really learn new ways of perspective. And, and uh, again, if you're caring for her as a caregiver, there's nothing you can really do about that, right? You just have to manage that. And if, if that is the reason that at a certain point it's not worth it to you um, and you're willing to risk, you know, take all those risks that are really there with these vaccines, like then again, it's okay. But, but again, know what you're doing. You're being manipulated. <laughs> you're being manipulated. Uh, additionally, I've heard arguments from my father that the least one can do is turn the good from evil. Uh, yeah, right. Is to use the remains of the child to benefit humans living today cannibalism comes to mind right there so well we should we should stop having like morgues and just cook everybody i mean it would save groundwork it would i mean it's just really i mean we should we should turn it for right especially murder victims why not you know i <laughs> emperor's got no clothes on people it's uh, uh use remains to benefit humans living today as a reason why taking the vaccine shouldn't be a burden on my conscience so yeah so so if we find like buried in Germany somewhere, like 12 Jews hooked up to a battery that creates compulsive energy that always lasts, do we keep it? No! Jeez! We don't! Golly! Blood guilt is real! That's my answer. I love y'all. That, but really, that's scary what, what's going on here. Uh, not to be on a high horse, but I can't reconcile that argument with... <laughs> You're right. Um, it seems like a worldly argument from a fortune cookies handwritten by Satan, uh, but I digress. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with you in general about, about what's going on there, that that is just, it's a diabolical way to argue is that since there's evil, we might as well use it. This <laughs> we can't stop the evil. We might as well join it. This is not the mind of Christ. This is not the impact of the gospel. I'm kind of in a pinch then continues our writer. I, I was, I was thinking of using the weaker brother argument on my own parents. That's actually quite fair. That's, that's quite right. That's, this is the place where that applies. Nah, absolutely. Um, but I'm not too sure how the fourth and fifth commandments would reconcile here. There is no fourth commandment here. How old are you? 12? I mean, I mean, if you're 12, uh, even then, uh, you know, are you seven? Um, you're not writing this if you're seven and they just do it to you, right? So you're old enough that they can't just do it to you. When you're old enough that they can't just do it to you, honor your father and mother does not mean jump when they say jump, bow when they say bow, do whatever they say, whatever they say, kill when they say kill. It doesn't mean that. It means... Seek 
to leave them a good name. It means don't use their names publicly in a letter like this. Just send to a TV show. <laughs> right? It means take everything that I say and try to apply it, not as a TV show to them, but as your understanding as their son who wants them to be well, to do well, to receive from God good things. And in that way, hide their shame as much as you can in their life. Don't bring up their shame. Don't forward their shame. Um, And uh, then you're free, actually, because the fourth commandment is not only about their authority over you, but your authority over your family going down. And that's where you got to take it on your own. If you let your mother rule your family, you got trouble. You got trouble. You got trouble. All right. To my to an extent, my pastor hasn't offered me a satisfactory answer on either because he said that I would that if what I stated were true, then he wouldn't take it. But because he doesn't believe the medical industry actually uses fetus. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You need a new church. Um, I mean, really, I don't know how he actually can come to that position. Uh, naively, he thinks vaccines are still weakened versions of viruses. Like, I mean, did you? I, is he in his sixties? I mean, I'm sorry, but really, uh, there are there's a generation that stopped discerning. Some of them still want to, which is great, but like, there's a lot of them that just don't. And and like, this is a really good example. Like, he doesn't even care. You came to him with concerns. He's like, ah, I'm not gonna worry about it. Okay, look, writer goes on. I don't know the degree to which public education has changed since his time, Boomer. <laughs> Grief history of power, two white guys. We've talked about this. It's it's so far from being the same. It like every five years, it's changing, and we are so removed. Anybody who thinks our 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 kids are experiencing what we experience, you're nuts. You're nuts. You got no idea what's going on. Only the teachers know, and it's ugly. It is bad. These kids are doing poorly, mental health wise. Right as a whole, the the society are getting weaker. We're getting weaker. Look, I don't know. Okay, you said, I, I read this. Uh, the boomer to our time change in, in, in uh, um, high school form. Uh, pseudo boomer to the your time zoomer. But I think it's because he, father, no, your pastor, right? Yeah, hasn't received a modern education that brainwashes high school kids into thinking stem cells are the future and abortions are the key to unlocking it. I'm not sure who you're referring to now. Um, but uh, yeah, well, not everybody who's uh, young these days is buying everything they're getting sold, though, which there is hope in that. The more they realize that this is a big show, the more they're going to look for alts. The problem is a lot of the alts they find are going to be straight up barbarian paganism. And that's why we got to get our own little culture going on, mad Christianity. We got to stand up and be different than everybody else so that our kids realize that they don't have to leave to find something to be. They don't know who they are because they're born into being something better than what they see around them ridiculously how bad it's getting he argues going on marcus i think you're still talking about your pastor that the that human test subjects would be more useful but he hasn't considered development with an unfortunate trove of resources yearly at big medicine's disposal right um nonetheless i'm a young man about to enter seminary cls edmonton good for you all interesting choice for seminary in the coming fall and feel as though i if i can't answer this question well with my own life i would wouldn't be a worthy pastor to shepherd my own future flock. Well, I'm going to go back and say, you got to stand up to your mother and do what you think is right. And your stomach's been telling you that you wrote a four page letter about how you don't want to take the vaccine. You wrote me a four page letter about how you don't want to take the vaccine. I don't need to tell you don't take the vaccine. You need to listen to yourself and then trust yourself enough to make the decision you want and not be bullied. Or if you're going to do it, be bullied. When you go to the, the seminary, I will not be surprised if you find a bullying culture. That is the one that we got in the LCMS. And so I don't know why the Lutheran Church Canada would be any different. 
I think, though, that if you can come to terms with being your own man, you'll be a fine pastor, provided that, well, the Lord actually calls you, you study. Uh, don't stop reading the Greek and the Hebrew. And by all means, are you a Sons of Solomon prayer habitus person yet? Because you should be. Have you not heard about the Sons of Solomon? We haven't talked about this for a while. Sons of Solomon is a prayer discipline, an ecumenical prayer habitus. Oh, those are cool words. Ecumenical, bring the church together. Prayer, you know what that one means. Habitus, you can figure out what that one means. A repeated thing you do, a discipline, something you do every day. An ecumenical prayer habitus, it is something we can all agree on as being true. We can all agree on to do, and doing it can only unify us no matter what denomination we're in. What is it? It's to pray nine psalms a day, to carry a Bible and a prayer book, uh, and to translate a proverb every day. That's it. That's it. How bad can it be? So, are you one of those yet, Marcus? Because if you would like to be a pastor, let me suggest that being part of that discipline will dramatically enhance your own studies going forward. Because one of the most important things to develop as a pastor that they don't teach you at the seminary I went to, but they talk about is this habitus idea that you have a regular clock that is the word of God that you return to. It doesn't have to be the same words, but I find, I find pondering the same Psalms, trusting the same Psalms, believing the same Psalms becomes, well, it's like that armor of God. It's the shield of light around you. It's quite a thing. So I would encourage you to find the Sons of Solomon. If you have not yet, Googling this won't do you any good, but I mentioned earlier on the show, the Mad Christian Discord. It is not called that, but it is. You just got to find the Discord app on any device you want to use. And then search for us, the chill. Ask to get in. It's a city. It is a massive city of Christians. A lot of Lutheranism because, uh, you know, well, we're, we're right about a number of issues. I, I, it, that It's just true. Um, but there's a lot of other Christians there too. And it's a great network for asking questions. We've got channels devoted to all manner of things like following COVID, uh, like video gaming, like we just started again, one on uh, CPTSD and other, other psychological issues. Um, there's a lot going on. So find the Mad Christian Discord, us the chill, find the Sons of Solomon channel and get involved there talking about your pursuit of seminary education. You will find a great deal of support. You will find good Christian men who will encourage you to take some good decisions and, and move up. So I would encourage you to go there from here, Marcus, um, as my, my real recommendation. And then recognize, again, you're being bullied, and that's what you feel. And now you have to decide whether you're going to, for charity's sake, allow it, or whether you're going to do what you feel you would rather do, which is pretty clear, I think, from what you said. I'm, I'm just me over here, man. Right. So make your call. That's, that's my real advice. Yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, the right call. I think it's pretty clear. Um, Judith says this moving forward. Dear pastor Fisk, I always enjoy chill brief history of power and your YouTubes. Thank you, Judith. I see your comments. I thank you for those. They're nice. Cause like, it's like, this is why I don't look at comments is as I go in and, and now thankfully, like there's usually five or seven comments that are like summarized that YouTube will show me of like every, all the recent stuff. And, you know, most times it's a comment. There's always a comment on like a really old video where someone's just like, I hate this guy's face and stuff. And like, that's just not what I need most days. And, um, but then Judith, you, you just, you always show up because you're still watching stuff and you always comment. And so like, there's like, I hate his face. And Judith's like, thank you God for Jesus. And he's so stupid. And then, um, oh, pastor preached it again. And so thank you. Thank you for this. Um, I think this is you, right? Uh, anyway, you always enjoy these things. Uh, you found Discord a bit confusing. It is. Uh, but anyway, you've still got plenty of material out there to explore. So when you're into the Discord, okay, here's my advice on Discord. Try it again. Only go to Citadelia. Only go to Citadelia. So when you go into the Discord and you open it, you'll be in the Mad Christian um, server. You have multiple servers you can join, but if you've never been in Discord before, you won't have any. You'll just be in this one. So you have to worry about that. 
once you once you search for and find the Mad Christian server, us the chill. Um, once you get in there, on your left, you're going to see a whole list. Left, it would be right here. You're going to see a whole list of like hashtag kind of places. Those are like channels, and they're named kind of funny. But Citadelia is the one to go to. Citadelia is the public street. It's just kind of the open general chat channel. And say hi, I'm new to Discord. What's your favorite channel or something like that? And somebody will talk about something cool in the the city. There is so much going on there. We have. I'm not going to tell you how many. Our user base is tremendously active. We are larger than we look. Put it that way. Mad Christian Mondays, our periodical, is also larger than it looks. Would you believe I was just told today we got like a 60% open rate on our on Mad Christian Mondays, and then there are there are certain levels or categories in which we get like 90% open rates. That's unbelievable. So so the Mad Christian reality is an actual conglomerating, fragmented, returning together to support each other culture, fake, right? Virtual but pushing us toward local real realities. And so finding that, being part of that, it is important if you can, you don't have to, Judith, but you're giving me an opportunity to talk to people about it. And I would suggest if you do nothing other than open it up and sit in Citadelia and just kind of leave that there, come back to that the way you would go back to Facebook and just see what happens in Citadelia and ask other people what good things there are here and what they like. And they'll, you're meeting people in the street. They're like, well, you go to this shop. We can go to that store. Or you can go over to this bar. And there's no alcohol. There's no foods to buy. But you have different comments you can talk about. I, where do I go? I go to the Dystopic Cosmic Horror Channel because it's where people post stuff about all the bad stuff going on in the world right now. That way I don't have to surf the internet. I can just go there and see three to five things that are like, oh yeah, oh golly, it's really bad right now. <laughs> and I can move on. And I go to Captain COVID Crunch because uh, there's a lot of like number crunching people in there. And the pinned posts are absolutely glorious when you want real, actual, like, like facts that have accumulated over time through the gaslighting. And so to watch that conversation there, I always consider to be important. And so, so I don't go everywhere. I go a couple places. I mostly haunt and linger. Someone recently asked, does Fisk even come here? Every day, give or take. I also do a lot of work behind the scenes and some channels that you can't see because it also is our workplace as the Mad Christian um, community. But so that's my pitch on it. Judith, you don't have to do it, right? You know, who needs more internet in their life? You really don't need more internet in your life. So don't worry about it. But um uh, yeah, you're talking about the stuff I do. Okay. So your question, I've heard you refer to the anxious bench and I'm familiar with pulpits in church. However, it seems that the Lutherans consider the altar to be a significant part of worship. Perhaps you could discuss that significance and how it differs from those other pieces of furniture. Okay. So the anxious bench, uh, would have been part of revivalism in which you had the front pew reserved right in front of the pulpit where the guy's up on the pulpit, right? Looking down at you. And like your friends bring it to church because they're like, this guy needs to repent. Here, come sit with me down the anxious bench. You don't tell him that, right? You go sit right up in front. And then when you're down there, the preacher like knows, like he's, he's not preaching to the group, he's preaching to you. <laughs> and he's going to like go for an hour until you break down and weep. And he will literally bully you into believing in Jesus. Now, I think that uh, coming out of that, some people actually do repent and believe. I don't think the tactics real great, um, but there is something about conviction, authenticity, and not giving up on what you actually believe in the face of people not believing it. So, so maybe I don't know. I, I don't want to go on it too hard, but you know, Lutherans don't usually go for the anxious bench because we're not trying to make a conversion that moment. What we're trying to do is just assert the reality that we believe will change you, and not try to close the deal like an American salesman, which is frankly what's happening in the the Finneyist approach. Right, you, you've taken on sales as your mission. Yuck. 
So um, that's the anxious best. Pulpits exist largely because microphones didn't used to. And now they kind of are a symbol of the elevated status of what's supposed to be said. Unfortunately, that symbol is very, very poorly represented many times. So, you know, what does it actually mean that someone's in a pulpit? <laughs> Depends on which congregation you're in, I think. Um, and, you know, and, and is it a pulpit if it's, a, it's got wheels on it and it's um, made of plexiglass? Or is it just... I don't even know, <laughs> you know, a, a, a rolling table. Um, a pulpit exists so that you can see and hear a man in a large crowd because we believe that it would be worthy to hear what is being said in an age where um, ah, there maybe wasn't that much worth being said. <laughs> but to get together and hear the proclamation of the scriptures, well, we want to be able to have as big a crowd as we can and do that. You got to get the guy up so you can see him over the people in front of you. And that means you got to be able to hear him. So again, pulpits exist for that reason. The lectern is separate from the pulpit as a place where a reading will occur as opposed to a preaching. It's usually a little smaller, not quite as high. Same kind of idea though. We're elevating the word of God over us so we can hear and we can see it. It's just pragmatics and yet it also symbolically tends to work. The altar behind these things in most Lutheran churches and elevated even further is again so that you can see the event of the, what, replication, the dramatic living of the Last Supper, New Testament in Jesus Christ's blood. Um, and so it's a, it should be, usually is, a stunning piece of furniture in the church. And in theory, the whole church should point to the altar or to the crucifix above the altar, because the crucifix above the altar is the symbol of what is being received from the altar, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the significance is huge on those three pieces. The font will be the only one that I, I haven't mentioned, and that can be a number of places. I don't love the idea that they're as mobile as they are, but there's a couple of good places they can be, and there's a couple of bad places they can be. Worst one I ever saw, like, pulled out of the wall. I'm not kidding. Like, you walk over the wall in the church, and there's like a, let me get it on the screen here, oh, a section like like this, right? Like like this big, but, ah, oh, can't do it. It's like this big of the wall, and as a little hook, and you just, and there's like a little basin that pulled out of the wall and that was the font in the Lutheran church. I'm like, you guys are kind of missing a point a little bit here. Um, good places would be right in front before you would go up any stairs to kneel or to receive the supper. So as you're passing, uh, coming from the pews into uh, the reception of the supper, you would pass the font recognizing your right to be here, that you've been called, you've been chosen to be here, you've been washed. You, know, you are worthy to receive the supper as a sinner redeemed in Christ, knowing that it will be unto your righteousness, all that kind of stuff. And, and similarly then, another good place to have it is outside uh, the entryway to the congregational, uh, to the assembly, the sanctuary. Um, still inside the building, right? But in some sort of narthex, or they used to call it a baptistry, uh, a space that's built for having the baptism in which on a non-Sunday baptism, you could just gather 15 or 30 people there. You know, so like the narthex, again, in most churches could function as this. In many, they do not. In some, they do. Um, in mine right now, they do. Just uh, That's a function of having too little space up front, actually. Uh, but, you know, the font, again, as I've already said, um, by staying there symbolizes your right to enter there right anybody else who comes in is a foreigner and a stranger an unbaptized person in the sanctuary is a foreigner and a stranger and they also must 
Well, if they walk into the church, they must walk past the pump. And notice how they don't walk past it to go up to the supper, right? They don't get that far until they're baptized. And so there's, there's a symbolism going on in the font itself. And the font can have all sorts of cool stuff built into it. Eight sides is standard until the <laughs> last century. Go figure the 60s. Um, eight sides representing uh, eight people in the ark that was saved through the waters of the flood, which Peter is pretty clear. Um, the flood is the symbol and baptism is the real thing that now saves you. So eight-sided uh, font is a pretty cool thing to see. You can find all sorts of other designs and pictures on these things, but I, I think I think we've covered the major, major furniture here. No anxious bench, right? We have pews. We have places for people to sit. Those are fairly new too, like 400 years, 500 years barely, right? Uh, is it having the pews, it's kind of a reformation idea. Like you're all going to be here and listen for an hour so you can sit down as opposed to just come and watch the guy do Latin mass and stand and leave halfway through because all you got to do is see a little bit of it. Um, so pews were, were an interesting addition and the reformation uh, and enlightenment also uh, a big part of that. Uh, so, but the, the pulpit as the place to elevate the hearing of the word is primary and primary er, <laughs> I say penultimate. And then ultimate is the, is the altar, uh, which is where all that has been said is for you tangibly. And you don't get to like, feel it. It's just a promise. It's quite, it's quite a thing. As an edit, Judith says, even pulpits are dispensed with mostly now when the preacher strides the stage roving a mic in contemporary style. In a lot of places, uh, so, so when you're in the business of sales, which is what people mean when they say mission in the church these days, and it means they're in sales. When you're in the business of sales, you have to have something to sell. And so when you, you have to come in and, and convince everybody there's something wrong, that needs to be fixed, right? You need a band right here in River City. And uh, convince them there's a problem, convince them that there's a solution, you sell them the solution. So uh, the idea that a pastor in a pulpit is boring and that a pastor walking around on a stage is not boring is an easy sell to a group that just wants to be sold something else and really doesn't like being who they are. As I said it, I mean, hopefully you can hear what a completely idiotic kind of idea this is. You're either interesting in the pulpit and out of the pulpit, or you're not interesting. <laughs> like that's, that's really all there is. And they can be like, oh, I love it when he comes down in the pulpit because he's so much more real. Um, that's idolatry or something. Like th- that has nothing to do with the Bible or what you said. And so to argue that you need more of that, I would contend is, is complete tomfoolery. We've got lots of tomfoolery going on. We have lots of people who have become convinced that the scriptures are not sufficient to save the church. And so we must come up with all manner of sales pitches, twists, turns, gimmicks, and goodies. $5 lottery ticket uh, to get people to come. And we've been doing this since, again, Finney started that anxious best thing. And he got a big group to work uh, to come. A mega church in New York City. Man, how's that place doing now? Um, and uh, doing that then made all of these other Salesmen, pastors, jealous, right? They want, they want big church too. They want power too. And so the, the practice of worldliness becomes and continues to be the church growth movement and uh, contemporary worship. Sorry, but it's true. Um, uh, not all songs, not all singers, but the process of detaching ourselves from any boundary markers of old after detaching ourselves from the word and sacraments of Jesus Christ. If you're in a church that's done that, I mean, what you got left, but uh, a spirit and a local prophet who probably is not talking to the Holy One. Um, this may sound, uh, morbid says Daniel, new question, but I don't mean it too. And I think you'll know what I mean. Cool. Oh, I remember this one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, but I just want to say that I feel more ready to die than I ever have in my life. Kudos, kudos to you on that one. You've helped me with that. 
like this could be so like so fisk has helped you want to die that's that's well it's christianity you don't want to die you're ready right yeah of course that ebbs and flows but right now and lately i just feel a great peace i'm coming out of pietistic background whether that feeling of peace will last or not i know christ has me either way thanks the feeling of peace will come and go because feelings we talked about this earlier what they do is they do not stay <laughs> they are things that arise in result of your uh your proximities what's around you right so if you would like peace and your lack of fear of death to remain then the preaching of that must be something that you continue to eat in various ways and let me tell you just get in those psalms again right get those sons of solomon psalms going get the proverbs going uh that will help you remember the promises of peace even in those times of life when you don't feel peace and so again this is like flashback management for for complex post-traumatic stress but it applies to any form of fear and or adrenalizing that the first thing to do when you realize that like oh man i'm really scared of this it might kill me is to realize i'm really scared of this and my fear will pass and so that lets you feel the fear and run from it and that lets you not panic it's really, really kind of cool how that is. It's hard to do. It takes a great deal of mental effort and it takes practice. But I would, I, I would tell you that you have a little of it already, it seems, and you want to keep doing that, right? Recognize the peace will pass, but the peace comes from a specific place, namely Jesus' word and his sacraments. Uh, and that um, when that peace passes, uh, you will have the ability as a Christian to continue to live without always having the feelings you want in the knowledge that there will be times when God will bring you back great gifts of peace. And these will be a big festival and churchly moments, Sunday mornings and reading the Psalms, right? And then these will bleed over. These will bleed over into your life. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, saith Psalm 23. And that doesn't mean just like chase you and you're far away. It means they're not going to, it's going to tackle you. It's going to start to come out of you. Yeah? And that that's regeneration. That's the impact of the gospel. And people talk sanctification, whatever you want to call it. The impact of the gospel is that the word of God, which is the mind of Christ that redeems you fully free as a gift, will not leave you sitting there, but is going to come out of you again. Blah, blah, blah. He is risen. Yeah, it's going to come out of you again. Um, so that's awesome. Own the peace. Recognize the peace as a feeling will pass. The peace as a declaration is an eternal promise. It's, it's a, it is a treaty, not a feeling. So understand that too. The peace of God ultimately is a treaty God made with you in the blood of Jesus. Oh, such good stuff. Um, so going back to being morbid and me convincing you that you're ready to, <laughs> ready to die. Um, I, I like, I like how that could be gestable. Um, I increasingly find that my favorite conviction is my preference that God would kill me sooner than later. <laughs> and CPTSD, honestly, it really helps with this. So not everyone gets to have it this way, but, um, I mean, this week, again, I mentioned I had a hard day and it's, it, it reminded me and I don't know if I'll ever forget. I hope I don't hope I don't. It reminded me that like, this world's bad enough. that if I die, the bad parts go away. <laughs> and I just get the good parts of Jesus. And I want to hold on to that, that bad that I felt this week. So that next time I'm afraid of death, I'm like, yeah, but I remember what that felt like. So if, if I die, then all that never comes back. So let me do the right thing instead and not worry about whether I die. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and again, I say increasingly, I'm having this thought exist in my life. This is not my entire life. <laughs> no, but it is what the Psalms preach to me when I pray them. Uh, it is what the Proverbs teach. It is what Romans 8 says. That there is now no condemnation, but you're in Christ. 
a firstborn son of God. The whole creation is waiting for your resurrection and singing with you in the fact that you can't be lost because Christ has chosen you. Oh, it's good stuff, right? So yeah, you're welcome. And being unafraid of death, well, I guess the bigger thing is when did Christianity stop having that just be normal? That's that's what, something smells bad, right? Something smells bad. It smells really bad. It smells worse than it smelled in a long time. You guys think we're close. I think it's, I think it's really bad. But I also think that there are 7,000 who have not bent the knee. I think that there are uh, many who are being awakened right now, not just by listening to my show, but across, what I said earlier about the, the pricking of the serpent's venomous poison to wake us up, across the spectrum, Christianity's got a shot in the arm, not by taking vaccines, but by realizing all the evil that's going on. Uh, and so, like, that's awesome. But we are, we are in systems wherein the Babylonian captivity of the church is running the systems. And the only place I would suggest that you can begin to work against this is in your local congregation, wherein the Babylonian captivity of the church is often running the system. And if you have good Christians of goodwill, you can stop it. If you have a crew that, and a pastor that wants to, you can begin to say, you know what? A lot of these so-called ancient boundary markers that we do in this congregation right now are only 35 years old and none of them help. So why don't we go back to what the Bible says to do, start there and see if we can't reformat our understanding of ourselves. And you can do this in a family-sized congregation. A lot tougher in a big one, although you do that there with your leadership group, right? And then your leadership group all agrees and then you move forward together and the, the larger congregation will follow too. So it's just a different format for getting it across. But in a smaller congregation, it just means starting to be really honest about what's going on. So again, for example, I tell my congregation pretty regularly in announcements, like, I cannot be your news source. I can't read all the news for you, but I can tell you I saw this and that really bothered me. And so, you know, so think about that this week, right? Like, so that kind of conversation um, with other Christians is, is super imperative. And then that it not be just what we think or, oh, those people are crazy, but like that we also have conversation around words that are not from far away, around words that endure and stay. Because the more we do that, the more the words from far away will just kind of like bounce off us a little bit. <laughs> you know, like, they, like, how does that fit? It doesn't. Well, then I'm not worried about it. You know? uh, and re- what we've done instead is think it all matters and try to put it all together. And it's just got us falling apart. It's got us falling apart. We've got to fracture back to who we really are. Yeah, fragment back to who we really are. Greg says this. Pastor, thank you. Uh, you know what? Uh, before we go to Greg's question, I'm going to take a quick break. Be right so we got a comment. I just threw it up there. I'm going to throw it up again. It's from way back in the show. But Mel says this. I like the thought of Christians living in a closer connected community where we can help each other better and live how we choose. According to the Bible, maybe we should move to Rockford. Yeah, you should. Uh, I have a young gentleman. I'm not going to name him right now, who is the first one to do this. So I've been saying this for um, about a year and a half now. Hey, look, come help me here. Let's do this. And uh, I got the first one coming. We have a second attempting. Uh, he, he almost got here. He's got to uh, set a few more things in line. But I ain't kidding. Um, I'm not going to just assume you're a good person when you show up at my church. I'm not going to trust you just because you watch my show. <laughs> um, but uh, coming to Rockford, what you're going to find is an impacted community where you can get great houses for a decent price in the city. You're going to pay a lot more because of taxes in the county. It's actually really good. It's really, you get lots of land. It's cheap. It's ready for development. It's developed or half developed and then fell apart. So you already got barns that aren't in use and you just got to buy the property. I mean, it's, it's really filled with opportunities for us to build a community. We're not the only one. I know there's one going on, several going on in Wyoming. Uh, There's a group in Idaho that's thinking about this kind of stuff. Um, Wherever you are, you might already have it under your feet. But if you don't, that's where I'm suggesting, and this is Brief History Power, two white guys, Dr. Koontz is right there with me. Take six months, come up with a plan. 
That plan might take you three years or five, but you know that you've got 45 left, give or take. I mean, God can take you. But if the Lord tarries, you got 40 left, 30th, figure it out. Do you want to live it where you are in the directory it is? No. Okay. Well, I, I'm telling you, Rafa's got all sorts of problems, but right in this corner, all the stuff I'm talking about, like banding together, taking over local government, it's all ripe. It's ripe. I just need people who want to do it with me. Yeah. And and I got uh, a ringleader coming. So uh, we'll have help soon for people who want to try. Uh, it's not there yet. Not there yet. We got to let the Lord put all that in place. But um, it really is my invitation. Uh, there's a great church a block and a half over there across that lake. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, that church only exists for one thing right now because it collapsed. It collapsed right before COVID. That took it 20 years to collapse. It was existing for multiple things and collapsed. And out of the collapse, there were two things people decided to exist for. Uh, one of them is not us. And, and one of them is us. And what we exist for is the teaching of the Bible to our sons and daughters and that the fathers would be Christian men who want to love the Bible and follow Jesus in this dark and evil age. And because of the collapse, again, this was like a 20 year institutional problem that we hit the bottom. We've cleaned the slate. We're financially capable. We, we got our property. We, we got enough people to make it right. We're no longer in collapse. And because of that, we have nothing else but the word of God right now. And I keep telling them, look guys, like this is the best it's going to ever be. Because if, if people do move here, it's going to get big. There's going to be a lot of other stuff going on and we can't forget how good it is here right now. So yeah, there's my pitch. I mean, it really, it's a good church. I'm so grateful to be there. Uh, I really am. Uh, I, I get to just study the word of God, talk to people about it, you know, uh, furnish you with the answers that I can give you, be your prayer guide and, and uh, well, uh, shepherd, right? Um, it is, it's a blessing here. So you're more than welcome uh, to come and check us out. Uh, or even just come by and visit. We have a lot of people visit St. Paul uh, because of the show and you're always welcome to, to stop in. If I ask you to, to move here and join, it's just because I think it's a good idea. Um, <laughs> Greg continues. He says, one thing we did last year, I'm sorry. We are former Southern Baptists and 33-year Lutherans who got woke in 2020, uh, meaning the other way, right? Uh, we changed to a confessional and liturgical LCMS church during last year. That's great. One thing we did last year was study Revelation using your old SS class, Sunday school class, right? On YouTube. Yeah, that's from Bethany Naperville a long time ago. Um, now our small group is going to do Revelation for our next study. It took us two years to finish. Has American Christianity failed? Do you have any suggestions for a study or commentary on Revelation? I recommend getting from Concordia Publishing House the Lewis Brighton Revelation Commentary. There are two do not get the blue scholastic hardbound big one. Get the reader's edition or something like that, wherein it's just a little more navigable for the layman. What do I mean by that? There's a, I mentioned the scholastic level of theolo theological argument. That's not all bad. And so what that means is there's just, there's just some legalese code approach to how you write commentaries that if you don't know that, the real commentary is just going to be a bit of a bear to figure out, and especially as a group. Um, but the reader's edition or whatever they call it, it was built for just this kind of thing. So that's what I would recommend. I personally um, think Brighton's uh, commentary is illuminating, as in like, Revelation's kind of a closed book. And then like he's like, here's the key. And you're like, tch, tch. the trick is, but halfway through the book, he stops using the key and he starts doing other stuff. And I just start disagreeing with him more and more. So that's where I, I got to give it a limit. I got to say he leans premillennial in some of his assumptions and doesn't bother to challenge them with scripture, not on the premillennial thing itself, but on just some of the 
understandings of texts. He takes a premillennial understanding or their understanding and assumes that's the right one. I think there's another way to go at these things that leave us with some different conclusions. But it's Revelation. Revelation is not the book you should argue about. Really is not the book you should argue about. It really is not the book you should generally found anything on. It should be the capstone and the completion wherein everything you already know is being found again. Yes? Um, so, I'm going to recommend you don't study Revelation in your book study. I'm going to recommend you study either Without Flesh or Talk Them Into It. My two books most recently written. Echo's a good one too, especially if you've got a lot of neophytes because it's going to show them this is the basics. But Without Flesh uh, is not so long. It's a little short. You've got eight, eight, seven chapters, something like that. And uh, you want to have your... Uh, your dystopic congregation gird itself up with the reality of the Lord's Supper, be ready for the end times. Trust me on this one. Your, your commentary on Brighton is going to be esoteric. It's going to be a study in far away, a study in ideas and thoughts. Without flesh is going to take you to the root of your congregational need right now. I highly recommend that. Talk them in that, into it is going to help all of you talk in the meeting together about it. <laughs> <laughs> which practices it and then therefore compels you eventually to talk about it elsewhere. And that would also be very good for any congregation to start doing in a small group. So th- those are my recommendations. Um, a revelation study of, you know, it's a great book. It's a fun book. It's fun to preach on. Um, is it what you need to found? No, no, save it, read it for fun, get a comic book, you know, uh, where are they? They're so good. Kingstone, Kingstone, three, three part Bible. I haven't looked at the revelation of it. So good. So well done all the way up to it. All right. So those are my suggestions. Yeah, I I really do recommend the Kingstone uh, Bible for its, uh, I'm sure its revelation images are just amazing. So if you're going to study something like, like, look at that. Wow, look what it's doing. That's what it says. It's what it says. Look what it is. Ah, Because when you're just looking at it in the words, it it can be less over. I mean, trust me, pictures help. So the comic book, Kingstone Bible, uh, three, three part. Uh, just get the third one, New Testament, Revelation. Um, I'm going to say check that out with your Brighton commentary. If you insist on the Brighton commentary and do a Revelation, get the comic book with it. Take them together. I, I promise you, it'll be cool. That'll make it way cool. Um, so Colin says this, speaking of way cool, it's just some Hebrew. Pastor Fist, by the way, did you know? Did you know? In the Mad Christian Discord, which you can find on Discord by searching for us, the chill. There are two channels now that have developed for learning biblical Greek and Hebrew on your own with help, tutoring, uh, answering questions, all manner of stuff. Other laymen starting to do it now. Do you know you could read the Bible in the original languages as a Christian? Like you, you're free to do this. Do you know you could have always done this? Do you know this has been available for a long time? And it's crazy. No one's been teaching everybody. Uh, no one's that interested, I suppose, but why not? Uh, so anyway, uh, if you're into or would like to be into a little bit, just a taste of those those languages in which the Bible really came from, like into this question is going to ask. Um, we got channels for that too. <laughs> yeah. So join us, join us over there in Citadelia, the mad Christian discord, us to chill on discord. Pastor Fisk, I have a question. <laughs> I want to do a different advertisement, but I'm just going to go on. I have a question. Proverbs 20 verse 16. I don't understand the difference between the King James and the SV, the ESV. I checked all kinds of versions and found the same word being translated different ways as either foreigner or seductress. I think the meaning of the proverb is the same, but I don't understand why there is such a big difference in this one word. Just wondered if you had any insight on this. So ESV says, take a man's garment. We has put up security for a stranger and hold it in a pledge when he puts up security for foreigners. And then NKJV, take the garment of one who is surety for a stranger and hold it as pledge when it is for a seductress. Um, so I did a quick look at the word this morning and um, I know a lot more about the word stranger uh, Zur, 
in both of these, the first word, right? Uh, that I do about this, this secondary word. Um, but when I looked it up, uh, I, my guess is, again, I, I don't take me to the bank on this. My guess is that the KGV has got a bad text. And so the female edge of this, the making of it a woman is sort of like a, a typo. Um, the word is basically the word Gentile which doesn't help a lot, right? It means not a Jew. And it's a very specific word. It just means not a Jew, right? Not an Israelite. Um, if there's a woman, a girl, a woman who is not a, not a Jew, like that makes it like even worse. So what's going on in the verse? Let's, let's see what's going on. Take the garment of one for, who is surety for a stranger. Zur, that means outsider, not a Jew also, but not the word Gentile, just outside of the community, outsider of the village, not one of us. That's, that means that generally and can be applied to everybody, right? So for for the um, the Danites, the Ephraimites are Zur, they're, they're outsiders, even though so far as they're being Israelites, they're not, and only Gentiles are Zur, right? So Zur kind of scales, whereas this other word, and it's not right, uh, thanks Frisbee for the for the attempt at the Hebrew there, but it's, it's not the word. Um, uh, right here. Let's see if I can find it again. Uh, it is... He talks about it correctly, I thought. Hold on. It is uh, Nakri. Oh, yeah, you got it. Nakri, yeah, but that's not the right Hebrew. So you got the right English there, but not the right Hebrew. Um, again, foreigner or Gentile. Um, uh, the, the root would be NCR. Um, oh, Nun Kafrish. Uh, and so that root of being a Gentile, again, as a technical term, is going to mean... Um, not a Jew. And so in general, if somebody comes to you and says, Hey friend, can I borrow some money? And, uh, you say to him, what for? Uh, and he says, well, I know we live in the same town, but there's this guy from Philadelphia who came and he's having some hard times. He's my buddy and all. And, um, but he's not one of us. Right. And I don't, I don't even know him that well, but I want to help him out. So, um, will you help me help him out? And and what he says is basically don't do that. Be like, Sure, if you're going to pay me, <laughs> like don't give away for free your work to someone who's not one of you. That's first, right? Second, and if you're a Jew trying to make alignment with a non-Jew against the covenant, and it's a girl, that's bad. Right? That's the seductress part, right? But again, if it's it's a non-Jew, you're going to the unbelievers for help. So this is like when Saint Paul says. Um, that the church should judge its own affairs and not go to the courts of the unbelievers and sue each other. Like that shows that you've kind of forgotten that they're outsiders and you're insiders, right? That's the entirety of what this is really about, right? So that when a Christian comes and says, we should do this in the church because the CDC, well, that information is not as trustworthy as we should do this in the church because the Bible. And that what he's telling you to do is to be skeptical of the outsider to be skeptical, particularly of the non-Christians agenda. And so if you are going to do business with them, do it eye for an eye in the realm of justice, you know, give and take equal exchange, all that kind of stuff. That's the meaning of the proverb. Uh, so, and in the section, if I recall, uh, uh, 20, uh, as you get toward the back of Proverbs, it becomes increasingly clear that you can't live in a world without Kings. You always have kings. They don't always call themselves kings. Um, but advice for kings is what the Proverbs is. And so then the more you realize kings scale. So you have like big kings and you got like the mayor 
and the tribal elder, and then the father, right? So it's advice for fathers as kings. This advice is about how to manage your, your time and your financial affairs. Uh, and that uh, if you're going to go and help people who are completely outside of you, then you should have some pretty good reason for it. If someone's going to come and ask you to do it, and they're doing it, you know, it's completely outside of like um, your community. Uh, this is not beholden upon you as natural law to go do. In fact, it might be quite foolish. You might just be being taken advantage of. So what he's trying to do is help you not get sold. Basically, the person who is trying to borrow money from you to give someone else is being deceived. They're having it sold to them. And you're supposed to say, well, if you can buy it, but you're going to pay me back, right? You're not going to go be someone else's fool with them. That's the encouragement here. Now, where does Christian charity fall into this? This has nothing to do with Christian charity. This has to do with being a wise steward of the goods you have in business and finance and management. Charity is when you see someone who's poor, even a foreigner, and you're like, dude, that needs help. That guy needs help. I'll help him. That's not loaning money to somebody (laughs) in order for them to invest it in whatever dream they have, which is outside of the Christian realm of reality, right? See how the layers keep going and it gets worse and worse. I'm like, yeah, especially if they're going to go like start a brothel, don't loan them the money, right? So that's, that's kind of the idea here. Now, back to the Hebrew. Yeah, the words make a huge difference. It's a completely different vocabulary. And most of our translations, even though they're technically correct, are often emotionally, symbolically, or spiritually wrong. And part of this is because over 400 years, the devil's had a lot of time to take English and change what it means, to babble it on, as it were. And so studying the meaning of these Hebrew words is tremendously important. And that's why that first word there, outsider, is one that I care a lot about. There it is, outsider, outsider. The man of mind alien to regeneration is what that word really means. Take a man's garment when he has put it up, when he has put up security for a man whose mind is alien to regeneration. So the the root of this idea is you are strange to God. You are outside of God. And for the Christian then, this means that not woke, right? Not awakened, not woke American style, but awakened biblical style, born from above water and the spirit, all that, not woke. And so this verse really is about, dude, do you realize that non-Christians are different than Christians? Like, do you realize that? You should really act carefully. You should really be wise enough to see that, an, that and I'm, I'm talking about actual Christians too, not just liars, but hypocrites, but even then, that a hypocrite in a Christian church is going to be bound by certain guilty conscience issues just from having to listen, even if he doesn't believe. And that a Christian who really believes is going to have an inspired desire to do good by you, regardless of what it means. A real Christian will just be compelled a little bit to do good by you in a way that a pagan can be compelled, but is not always compelled. And in fact, is often compelled to do evil by you. Because you know, Christians are also compelled to do evil by each other, to take advantage of each other. So how could a pagan not all the more have this reality, right? So why would you get into bed? Literally. What what, what fellowship is light to have with darkness? Studying the Hebrew words, the vocabulary, I think is a, I think it's an essential piece of developing a new micro English for biblical understanding. And that's what I'm working on, actually. I'll probably just get a little ways for myself, but you benefit, don't you? Yeah, you do. And Beth says this, you do, you do. Pastor Fisk. Oh, my back. Hold on, stretches. Can I do this? Hold on. That was short. Um, There we go. Beth says this. You often recommend that parishioners meet with their pastors when they have concerns about the church or the preaching and teaching. Yes. Yes. So I said today, at least one point, like you need a different church. But really, generally, my advice is 
talk to your pastor. And we'll talk more about what that means here. Talk to your pastor, talk to your friends. And if you cannot find resolution or reconciliation with your theological issue, tell them, this is why I'm leaving. I love you all. Um, In fact, if you agree with me, you should probably come with me. And uh, that's that, but it starts by having that conversation. Uh, Go first as a witness to the one to whom you find offense. And if it's the pastor's preaching, you got to do it. And, um, and then from there, uh, seek according to Matthew 18 to love each other. Uh, even if you find out that they're not Christians at all and that they're all just really hateful, like you're still like, you're going to flee that church, but, and you're going to wipe your dust, the dust off your feet from that church, but you're not going to try to like burn the church down with your anger or something. Right. So you're going to, instead you're going to try to peaceably walk away. Um, but that starts first by going to the pastor and finding out like what's going on because most pastors, you don't even know what they're dealing with. You cannot imagine they're trying to balance so many people's demands. It's ridiculous. And we got to stop that a little bit. I, it's not easy. It's not easy. We've been groomed for it. But, 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 you often recommend prisoners meet with their pastors when they have concerns about the church. As a pastor who has probably been on the other side of those meetings with your members, I can only imagine that you may have walked away feeling discouraged and unappreciated. I have a problem called complex PTSD, which means I always feel discouraged and unappreciated, even when people are encouraging me, which is very sad. But I also know from talking to many other pastors that, uh, who, who do not have this, I don't think, uh, that yeah, yeah, like, people just say stuff to us. <laughs> and they just think it's okay. And it's really something. It really is. It's, it's incredibly discouraging. So when someone, whenever I get a message, pastor, can you meet with me? I don't want to because <laughs> I'm just, I just know it's coming. Right. And it's not always, it's not always, no. but it's often enough. It is. And that's why, so your question's a good one. Like, how do I not be a complete terror to you, to my pastor, when I go and talk to my pastor about the fact that I'm actually unhappy with him? Yeah. Well, that's tough, right? That's tough. But it begins by acknowledging, yeah, you know what? He has a lot of people that are unhappy with him always. Like that's his life. So like, you know, Consider what you're going to say. Uh, what advice would I give to lay people who want to meet with their pastor due to some real concerns about the direction of their church and guidance of their pastor? Based on your experience, how can we avoid discouraging our pastor yet not gloss over the issue at hand? Okay. So don't bring it up in the handshake line ever. That's just not cool because he's got to turn around and be happy next to like 30 more people. So like, really? Don't be like, hey, I got a problem. We got to talk about it. No, it's not the place for that. That's the place where I got a prayer. Pray for this. It's uh, glad to see you, Pastor. Things are going good. It's, oh, this is rough, but I'll make it. Like, that's what it's for. It is not for let's have a real conversation because there's too many people behind you. Like, you can ask a theological question. What happened in the sermon? You got, you got 30 seconds to a minute and a half. It's not time to drop this bomb. Uh, So don't drop bombs on your pastor. He's got more people to care about than you. And that is an important thing. It really, really is. Um, Now, what should you do? First, does your pastor have office hours? Does he just in the office? I don't, right? I'll meet with you anytime you want. And I have a path for that that I tell you about when you come to the church. But most pastors have office hours. What I would do, stop by and see him. That's what it's for. He kind of wants that probably. And so it's the best time to just be like, hey, how you doing? And that way it's like, I, th- I stopped by to chat because I'm having a hard time. You got time for me today, pastor? No, can I come back another time? Yeah. And go that route so that it comes out as you're a sheep needing shepherding come to him like that. Now, if you are already convinced this guy is a false shepherd, you come to him like that while also knowing that he's maybe not worth listening to. I don't know. There's a million guys out there. I don't know. Um, But it's both of those. And the authenticity of presenting yourself as the disciple, presenting yourself as the one to be shepherded, 
um, is imperative because that is what the orders are. That is what the nature and the law is in terms of the way God's built this thing to work. Um, but that doesn't mean that because he's your shepherd, he's a true shepherd or a good shepherd or a false, and he could be a false shepherd. And that's what you're trying to discern. You do that by being his disciple one more time and approach it that way. Um, my book, Talk Them Into It, has whole sections on this, how the power of the disciple is greater than the power of the master because you can control the conversation through questions. And you can also, therefore, demonstrate the master doesn't know what he's talking about just by asking careful questions. And at that point, you can really get into a conversation with the person um, if they're a learner, if they are humble enough to acknowledge that they have things they want to learn, um, as opposed to just believing it's all done and we just live, right? So so again, uh, that would be the the path. Uh, buying, talk them into it. You can get it for free by signing up for Mad Mondays. I forgot to, I haven't sold that for a while, right? Um, Mad Mondays is the newsletter you should have in your inbox, I, I talked about it earlier today, like how great our numbers are in terms of not how big we are, but in terms of how truly concentrically tied together the community is and, and growing in its strength of ability to, to wield information together. Mad Mondays is like the club, you know, or maybe, maybe the flaming arrow. Uh, and you definitely want this email every Monday that tells you everything you need to know about the internet in such a way. You don't have to be on the internet all week. You just look at this and you'll be like, that's why I'm not on the internet all week. Oh, look, and Jesus, and I'll watch SM Chill. I'll watch SM Chill, of course. I'll listen to it since it's podcast, right? Uh, so um, <laughs> I got into that to because uh, Mad Mondays. Mad Mondays are poor, are poor, awesome people who, I say poor because they're just, they're awesome and sad sometimes. Yeah? By poor, I mean sad. They want so badly for everyone to love Mad Mondays. And when we only have a certain number of subscribers and it stays there. It makes them sad. But I think there's something else going on. We've, we've talked about this internally, so hopefully y'all know what I'm talking about. You can cast a broad net with a lot of people in it. Get a lot of people watching the show. It's pretty easy. You just buy it. You just buy it. You pay for people to watch your stuff. That's how it works. Um, pay to play. Or you can realize that a group of 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 people who actually all agree and believe and want what's happening rather than just trying to be entertained one more time are far more powerful than a million member, whatever. I mean, they can do big financial things, long-term things. They can't do the way we can do it. Right. So mad Mondays, get on board this thing, uh, uh, or at least get in the mad Christian, uh, discord because the network is more powerful than <laughs> I quote Ben Kenobi than you could possibly imagine. Uh, we have, we have a lot of great people here and Mad Mondays as a news source is, um, is bar none at the moment in the world, I would say. Um, I don't have natural confidence. Remember that <laughs> it's true. It's so dead true. I was like doubting myself the whole time after I said it, it's like, Oh, I can't say this. It's not true. It's true. It's true. What I said was true. And what I said afterward is true. Um, so, uh, Mad Mondays came out of this because of a reason advice i would give to you um well i don't know how i got to mad mondays but so we'll go back to meeting with the pastor trying to avoid dropping bombs on the pastor uh recognizing that you oh that's how we got to mad mondays talk them into it has and you can get it for free and digital uh when you sign up for mad mondays at redfist.com slash newsletter it has sections on how to be a disciple in such a way so that you're not being manipulated 
but instead you are able to recognize the role of disciple as the role of learner. So I do really recommend you get that free copy, Beth, if you haven't got it yet. And, um, you, uh, skim through it until you find the stuff about master disciple. It's, it's in the first third, I think. Um, and really focus in on that as preparation for your meeting. Uh, and then I would, yeah, I would try to drop by and have the conversation about what the issue is. And, um, even there now, let me give you one more, one more thing. Like before you say, okay, so pastor, I have a problem. Say, pastor, I have a bunch of questions um, because I think I misunderstand. And I want to understand. And so can you tell me, like, tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's going wrong right now for you in the church. How can I help? What's the, what's the problems that you're trying to get us past? I think he'll tell you everything you need to know about whether you should stay there. <laughs> That's it. And at the end of it, would be like, you know, pastor, thank you. That clarifies it a lot. I think I'm going to go ahead and ask for my, um, my membership to be transferred over here. Um, and here's why this one reason I just, I just don't want to do that, but I, I'm only going to tell a few friends. I, I promise not to make a big deal about this. Um, unless he's like going to offer sacrifice to bow. I'm like, okay, so I'm leaving now. I'm telling everybody I'm leaving. <laughs> right. So where is that? Right. Where is that line? It depends on why you're leaving and what you're not comfortable with. I mean, ultimately, if it's really a biblical issue, like it's like, all right, pastor, I'm leaving. I'm telling all my friends because that's awful. Wow. Golly. You don't believe, do you? And I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you're dealing with, Beth, right? I don't know what you're dealing with. There, there is a wide and varied thing. But I think that the process of being the disciple, uh, asking the, the pastor for what he thinks the problems are and what he needs to be fixed and how you can help in prayer and support and activity, I think that's a good way to just figure out where he really thinks things are. And you'll then be able to know whether or not he's for or against the things you're against. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right, all right. We got one more here from Jules. It's 11 o'clock. We're going to go over just a few moments, but not too much. This morning, got lots of, lots of fun things. Can you, can you uh, tell you later? Uh, Jules says this. <clears throat> you know what? I'm going to make y'all wait. That was good waiting. Um, I got my drink of water. That's all I needed. Uh, $50 from Joe. Thank you so much, Joe. You can definitely super chat me anytime. Uh, I, I don't always see them. I don't always respond to them right away. They will often end up as questions in the following week's show. However, Google does take their fair share of this. So if you want to support me, otherwise you can always support me at Patreon. Uh, my Patreon uh, support channel is a lot like our Mad Monday channel where the, it, it, uh, some leave, some come, some leave, some come. We kind of stick where we are and yeah, that's what the Lord gives. But it is what helps all of this happen from my end in terms of personally. Um, it is the way that I know that what I am doing is being heard by you. And so uh, if you can find my Patreon channel and pledge five bucks a show or five bucks a month, whatever it is, um, that is the way that, that my world works over here, right? Uh, so thank you, Joe, though, also, because I definitely have these Google gifts. They get here too. Uh, if you can find my email, you can just pay, uh, PayPal me too. It's kind of fun when that happens randomly, as it were, or not. Um, so thank you for all of that. Those of you who do support, it is it is a way for me to know that I'm doing what is good. Yes. Uh, although I shouldn't say that quite right. I mean, the, the laborer is work, worth his wages. But it's not as though just because you speak the Bible and people give you money, that's right. But um, ah, 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 who needs that kind of criticism? Jules says this. I am surrounded by evangelicals who define a prophet. I love this question. Define a prophet as someone who only part of the time is a future teller, but mainly as someone who just speaks on behalf of God. Of course, this results in the group claiming that they are all prophets as well. 
what is a prophet? How would I respond to such an individual and try to have them even hear me out? Thanks to your incredible hard work, determination, and guidance. We are praying for you. Thank you, Jules. Um, it's it, I'm stuck on the how would I respond to such a one and try to have them hear me out. Well, if they're in a cult, you can talk for hours. And they'll hear you out and they won't hear anything you say because they're not really listening. They got a support system that's got them like this. And like they go out and come back and go out and come back and all they're trying to do is hook you into the into that, right? And I mean, who can blame them, I guess? Uh, would that Christians were so shrewd, although we know that that's manipulation so we wouldn't do it that way, but we could at least be wise enough to not be idiots. Uh, I'll, I'll digress. Um, why do I say that? We could be wise enough to not be idiots because the Proverbs... There's a real book of the Bible that nobody reads. <laughs> Few. Uh, surrounded by evangelicals. Okay, so we're, we're, so the prophet idea. So here's the trick. They're right, okay? So from a New Testament perspective, a prophet is somebody who repeats the word of God. They are not a future teller. Maybe even at all. You have some elements of potential like divine prophecy directly one-to-one happening in the book of Acts, although you can also make the argument that outside of the apostles, these are not quite the future telling that we would think them. So for example, the guy who in Ephesus takes off his belt and binds up his hands and his feet and says, this is what they will do to Paul if he goes to Jerusalem. And it said that this is a prophecy. Um, how you decide to work that one out um, should not be how you decide to talk about the word prophet where you are. So I think it's worth having two main understandings of the word prophet. Uh, one in which you do understand that every New Testament Christian is a prophet, a priest, and a king. And a judge. Every New Testament Christian is, by definition of being part of the body of Christ, who is the ultimate prophet, priest, king, and judge, who also has promised us that the New Testament spirit being poured upon all Christianity as the New Testament is that the sons and daughters shall prophesy. But now, again, this is where when you realize that a New Testament prophet is simply somebody who takes what has been prophesied and will not let it go. Well, it's not such a bad deal. And then you can tell the future all the time about the things the Bible tells the future about really clearly. Sadly, people try to do it about things the Bible doesn't say clearly, and we get a really bad name for it. But every time you confess the creed and say, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, you're prophesying. That's the definition of the word. You're in the secret counsel of God revealing it to the world. And you've been made a vehicle for this. That's what being a prophet is. And the more Christians could adopt the mentality that they are baptized as prophets, the more they might be willing to say, therefore, I have a duty to study the scriptures in such a way that I can say it. Hmm? But as you point out, this can cause all kind of hootenanny and problems, especially when people think that prophet means future teller. And that means I get to figure out what the future means and say it and hope it speaks for God, right? And this is where anybody who would claim to be a prophet in the sense of, I have a direct divine revelation from Jesus today about us, that means you should write it down and we all have to believe it forever. And if you can't do that, you're not a prophet in that sense. And you shouldn't even try. You're a liar. You're a prophet. You're a false one. You're going to go to hell because you don't believe in the true God and you're speaking words from the devil as if they're from God. Huh? So in that regard, the word prophet needs to be carefully distinguished. 
between the Old Testament prophets, who in many and various ways, as Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, spoke of old as the Spirit carried them along. That means they had unique, identifiable relationships with God that were immediately different than ours. They also had one much like ours, wherein the word which came before was never diminished, but only expanded until it was fulfilled in Jesus and stamped with the 12 apostles, which is why it should pretty much shut down after their death in terms of new revelation, because that's never foretold or promised. The Spirit says he'll bring us into all truth, and the Bible ain't written yet. The New Testament is not written yet. So you're right. The Spirit had to come and live through the apostles as he promises that he will do so that they could leave behind this testimony on paper of what is written in blood into the wood of the cross and the soil of the ground. Oh, goodness gracious, that sounds nice. What a beautiful image that is. Uh, So, the prophets of old are different and we need to let them be different and stop trying to tell the future and make crap up and call it God's word. Nonsense. And anyone running around doing that, you want to run from those people. They're heretics, they're cultists, and they're all going to do crazy stuff. But we got to recapture the spirit of prophecy, which says that every Christian man is a confessor of the faith. That with the heart you believe, with the mouth you speak, and you do it with the conviction that it's true. The whole world can be screaming at you, no. They can even be shoving things in you like spikes up against a piece of wood. But because this prophet, priest, king, Jesus has already entered you, you can't not be a prophet. So embrace it. And then realize where does the power of your prophecy come from? It does not come from your heart. It does not come from your mind. It does not come from your prayers, unless your prayers are the Psalms. And then the spirit of prophecy will be out of your mouth the moment you start praying. Hmm. This is the trick with this stuff, Jules. How often are these new prophets not ever talking about the actual things in the scriptures, but some other thing, some random thing, some vague thing? Uh, Frisbee was making fun of it a little bit, like, I feel a spirit of fire coming upon us for the next three months. Could you hear that? That was, that was, that was di- different. Um, <laughs> what is it? Was it the sandwich from last night or Jesus? That's the question. I think I had a chapter about that and broken, right? Liver? Something about your liver? Um, we're going to cut it with that one right there. All right, y'all. Thank you for watching the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill and or listening to it. Thank you for your support on Patreon. Thank you for being part of the Mad Christian community, whether it's via the Mad Christian Mondays newsletter or via the Mad Christian Discord called Us the Chill when you do the search. I want to also recommend Brief History Power one more time. Thank you for listening. If you don't, get on board with these two white guys as we put into context what is happening as the American regime, empire, whatever you want to call it, uh, is looted. And collapses because that's what happens when you don't have any truth as a society. It just it's pretty historically viable, right? It's what you do now as truth believers underneath that, binding together for the sake of the generations will have to endure when it's all collapsed. Unless our Lord Terry's brief history power to white guys, check that out on iTunes or wherever. Of course, you can find my sermons and this as a podcast Saturday morning chill by looking for the same thing. Uh, they're all on one channel right now. That should be changed in the future. Have I forgotten to sell you anything else? I can't stand sales, right? It's just, and then you have to remember it and say it right. And if I don't say it right, you won't do it. And uh, call to action, call to action. <sighs> Thank you for listening. You're not my friends because you're on the other side of camera. Mm, you're talking over there, but. Um, you're real people out there 
and you're going to turn this off and you're going to turn around and walk away. And there's going to be someone else who I don't know. I can't see. I can't imagine. But I know they're going to be there. They're going to be the first person you see. And what I want you to try to do is take something from this show, something good, encouraging. And I want you to find wherever that positive emotion was that came from it, whatever I said about ascension or whatever. And I just want you to let that be what you're thinking about as you walk away. Like write it down now or just try to hold on to it. Don't, don't, you know, don't make a big deal about it, right? But try to hold that thing. And then when you see that other person, you don't have to say it. Maybe it's the right thing to say. Maybe it's not. But the gratitude you feel to God for what you know, let it show. Let it show. Um, don't be afraid to go first with a smile. And realize that once you got off the blue light, it's harder to smile. So you might have to try. And you'll find that when you smile first, they smile back. Hey, I could wake up a little bit again. Yeah. Hey, thank you for watching the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. Thank you for all the support. We are here to stand upon the ruins of the world and not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Thank you for being part of that journey with me. I'll catch you next <laughs> The anxiety of it all. I, the last thing I have to say, and I mumble it, and then what do I do? This is CPDSD. I shame myself for it. It's crazy. It's crazy. It, literally, I'm going to stop. Um, you can teach yourself not to shame yourself. It's just about internal monologue. Get the book by Peter Walker or join the channel on the Mad Christian Discord. I'll see you next week. Rock on.